PlayStation selling IP? Batman Beyond Cancelled. And welcome to another episode of Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mr. Brett Beck. And alongside me, as always, is Senior Saw Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 237. And alongside me is Mr. Oh, Chris Figs. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you boys have been doing well this week. It's been an interesting week full of interesting things. And I think. I'm really curious to this question because up until the the weekend, I thought like, okay, this will be a, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of games. But we like to start this show off the same way. If you're for some reason new or joining us for the first time, first of all, welcome. Uh, but we always start the show off with kind of catching up on what each other has been doing so that you guys can get an idea of what we've been playing. We have a chance to talk about what we've been playing and what we do and don't like about it, but also get an idea of what each other have been playing. So Saul, I'm going to start with you this week, man. What you been playing? I have been playing Dark Souls 3 again, still. Um, and it's been, um, one week since you looked at me, but, um, <laughs> it's been, it's been kind of annoying in a way. I've gotten one trophy, a single trophy in but, a week. It started this all off and it's all gestures because I still lack one, two, three rings and I'll be done with all the rings. Mm. So, and then you start your quest to get all of the pyromancy, sorceries, miracles. miracles. Mm. Yep. Um, I did beat death's gambit. And um, soon enough, I was going to do it this weekend, but I didn't really have time. Was to start Death Stranding Director's Cut. Oh yeah, back up yeah. since I said I was going to play that. As it's been the second year uh, that I would have played it. Um, when I say that, it had been the second anniversary of it coming out for me, and I feel like it'd be fun to play it then. But I did download Forza Horizon Five on Games Pass. I didn't play that um, much. I didn't play it at all. And I downloaded San Andreas on Games Pass. Oh, yeah. I forgot. San Andreas is the only one of the new trilogy that's free on there. Yeah. That game is awful. I've heard that some pretty is, interesting things. Is Chris is shaking his head. I haven't played them at all. Goes. So I, my opinion is entirely based off of the online reception to this, which I understand could be very volatile considering. I, I am getting constant frame drops, constant scream tearing. Um, when it rains, I can't see. It's like it hurts my eyes when it rains. I have seen footage of it raining, and it, it, at least it was footage of it raining in the dark. Yeah, and I couldn't see a thing either. And it just looked like a bright white rain. That's what it is. It's, it's just bright white light just don't going down on the screen. And then somebody <laughs> pointed out the way the game puddles up or something. I could. How am I supposed to notice that when I can't see the game when it rains? Um, so like I did, I I finished up the first mission. Um, That's like the story mission, and then I, the second I got to free roam, I did some cheats. Um, and then I did like the bunny hop biking thing for like an hour. And I'm like, this is fun. I'm going to come back to it when I can tell what it's going on. Because like I'm telling you, my, I have a Series X and I was getting down to like 30 frame rate drops. Well, I, I wanted to not be, and, I, and again, I don't know what the actual thing is. But of course, seeing people online talk about it. And Chris, I want to hear your thoughts about it too. But um, I think what's interesting there is I tried to refrain from being overly negative. The moment that I found out that the people who were behind these were the same people that did the phone ports and then by extension the f- ports of the phone versions to console 
Was there a problem with those? There's tons of issues. Okay, I, 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 you said overly negative, so I'm thinking there's a reason why. And so a lot of people are kind of coming back and realizing that it's the same team that did those, and those were kind of, I don't want to say universally hated, but they're just kind of like, you when you go into them, you know you're dealing with more issues than you wish you were. Uh, and I think the interesting thing here is removing the PS2 versions of these games in, lieu, in favor of these, if these are going to stay broken, if you have problems with them being broken. So Chris, you've been playing three, right? <laughs> Yep, I have. Any issues with three? I guess that's the difference. Are you playing on three on PlayStation and you're playing San Andreas on Xbox? Yes. No, I, I mean, I think there's some weird stuff in there, but I didn't expect much. So it's three with better graphics. Like, it's fine. I don't, I, I feel like a lot of people talking about it, not necessarily saw, but people talking about it expected like them to remake the entire game and make it look like GTA five and all this crap. I'm like that's ridiculous. This is exactly that's what I expected. Very unfair expectation. They're twenty dollar games. Like they they have some issues that might need to be um fixed, but I don't see I will it's say one of those though, things had... where people are, are talking about it like yeah it's a cash grab and I'm like no shit. The games were already out so obviously it was a cash grab. Like I don't you know what I mean? Well, I, didn't I think one of the big concerns that are coming from people uh, is that because it's that same developer, and it's and who knows if it's because of the developer, because of Rockstar, we don't actually know where the issues crop up. But the PS3 version of San Andreas, that was the port of the phone version of San Andreas, was literally broken. You couldn't beat it that I can remember, or at least most people had issues when it came to a certain mission, uh, and it never got patched. And there were multiple issues that just never got patched, ever. So people are looking at this going, well, hopefully they patch it, or when they patch it. And it's, I think it's relatively fair considering the situation and how Rockstar and the developer in this situation have done before, that there is a, a worry a little bit that these won't get patched. I hope that that's not the case because this is a really good opportunity to make a product that can continue to sell for $60 for years on end with no one caring. Cause clearly that's what they do with grand theft auto five. Um, but that's kind of where I think a lot of, uh, a lot of other worries coming in with people who are kind of realizing who's behind these. But Saul, what were you trying to say? Well, my, my issues with the games aren't how they look. I actually think they look great. It's, you shouldn't release a game on, on this gen of consoles at this point, And you can't run a game at 30 frames per second. I did see that, that. That's a that's something I will gatekeep. If yeah. you run, if you publish a game on PS5 or Series X and it can't run 30 frames per second, you're doing something horribly wrong. We're at the point now where I should say that for 60 frames per second, but I know not all developers can hit that, so I'm gonna be lenient and say 30. But yeah, if you can't put a game out that runs consistent on this day and age, especially a game like that, there's no way. It's not about how the game looks to me. It's not about the game plays. Screen tearing and frame drops consistently on a brand new game should never happen like this. It should, it should, and they should 100% be called out when something like this does happen. There is, they can't get away with it, but they will because they're Rockstar. But, well, and that's the weird thing is I've seen people talking about Rockstar having the budget to make sure that this showed up in a, in a better form. They and do. Who knows? I mean, you can look at Rockstar being under 2K and 2K handling something like Mafia 1 with a full remake that, people seem to love i haven't played it again uh but i think people wanted that kind of like chris was talking about they had this expectation that this was going to be a full-on remake now something i'm unsure of that chris you may know the answer of um mafia definitive edition was part of the mafia trilogy or whatever it was called i think it was yeah, called it was mafia a, trilogy it was a pack uh, but they released it solo 
Yeah, so that was Definitive Edition 2, uh, a, a remaster of Mafia 2, and then Mafia 3 all packaged together. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that $60? Yeah, I believe so. Then I guess that there's a little bit more of a thing to go. Basically the same company releasing games in a very different state. Though I do feel like I remember Mafia 2 Remastered actually having issues. <laughs> uh Mafia Definitive Edition, I haven't heard anything bad about, but I remember people talking about there being issues with Mafia 2 Remastered. But uh, how much was Mafia Definitive Edition by itself? 30, 40? I have no idea. It was a PS Now game for me. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, either way, I think it's, it's interesting to see those things. And clearly, Grand Theft Auto's got a much bigger name than something like Mafia. So I think people are just looking across the aisle and being like, oh, we're disappointed we didn't get this treatment. But at the same time, I think it's fair to say that Rockstar never sold that treatment like chris was saying i don't think anywhere along the line did they set the expectation that it was going to be that Uh, whereas early days of seeing mafia definitive edition we saw a cutscene or or a screenshot one uh very short if it was a cutscene, but that hinted oh this is a ground up remake so uh either way it's unfortunate because i was actually kind of like maybe i will hop back into these but with the way they're looking now and for the price they are that's the thing is i was i i was if you remember just last week, I was I was visibly very excited for this. Mm-hmm. I think they I still think they look great. Um Yeah, it's it's but specifically it's, about how playable. Yeah, I'm not and like even people were talking about like the, they still feel clunky. I mean, there's only so much you could do to a PlayStation Two game that it makes it not feel clunky. Ain't that's true. Um, Actually, one thing that's interesting watching the gameplay videos I have and watching the cutscenes I have is that there's a lot of animation smoothing going on. Like the games look a lot less juddery with their movement from second to second which is actually kind of nice it It does play out to make the game feel a little more which doesn't help that there's the the and i don't mind the style but there it does look a little more cartoony as a result um but at the same time the remake i feel like is leaning into a slightly more cartoony look for all three of these anyway because it's better to stylize something from ps2 than try and make it look realistic in a well, lot of ways. I, f- I feel like they were already stylized to begin with they so were making it sure. realistic would even look probably worse than it would what they did. i think so too yeah but that's my big that's just my big complaint with them it's like if if they perform like that on playstation 5 i won't buy them until they're fixed and yeah if i would get fixed I just won't play them. I would have really expected, um, but I, I can't say expected because it doesn't matter, but I would have really thought that there would be a version for 60 frames per second. And maybe there is. Is there a performance mode for these games? Yeah, they no, have there's performance and fidelity well, mode. Xbox apparently doesn't. From, from, I, this is at least coming off of a thing where someone had mentioned that they were playing on Series X, this was on Facebook, and that they could not find a performance mode. I think I thought they were just supposed to run natively at 60. Mm-hmm. Why would they not? Because I mean, they don't, at least not on PS5. So, well, I mean, is that what they're targeted to do, though? Or well, is there I guess actual... it depends on whether you're playing fidelity, whatever right. they want to call it, but basically fidelity mode, which would ostensibly be 30 frames per second with a 4K resolution or some sub 4K with a aiming for 60, regardless of how often they actually hit See, it. Yeah, that is interesting because there is nothing on Xbox that alludes to it being um, having like having two different a, modes. Yeah, having a performance mode. Hmm. Yeah, the person said, unless it's the Game Pass version. They're like, does the Game Pass version for some reason not offer this? If but so, that's who knows? dumb. That would be odd. I, I doubt that that's the case. That would be very weird. But, you know, one thing that's about this that's a little interesting is that I think all of these problems that we're seeing would be far more exacerbated in VR. So when Oculus announced San Andreas VR, I, I'm curious, like, is this a VR version of this version of the game? I would hope not, but I'm curious. 
<laughs> because I feel like the the rain issue would be a lot more crazy in your face um, in VR. You know, I mean, it's something to deal with on a flat screen as well. But um, either way, it's just interesting to see. Uh, Chris, what you been playing, man? Um, it's Grand Theft Auto Three. I actually haven't played as much of that as I'd like to have. Um, I played. Let's see. I platinum spec off the line finally. My man, so goddamn hard. Um, <laughs> oh my god, it was so hard. And then uh, let's see, Wanted Weapons of Fate. I've been playing a lot of PS3 stuff. I haven't been playing on, on Wanted much this week. Of yeah. course, we're we're dealing in a 2021 playing of Wanted, which is like a probably a 2007 or eight game, um, something like that. But uh, coming off of it, because I remember once you started talking about playing it, that I had friends that loved it back in 2008. Yeah. Uh, if you had to kind of like put your finger somewhere on it, like if you had to give it a rating of a degree, like it can be any kind of rating, a star rating or a play it or don't play it. Where where do you fall? Oh, it's like. I guess in terms of a 20-point scale, it would be like a 7.5. It's a lot of fun, but the Platinum took me a couple extra days because I was like, I don't want to play this anymore. (laughs) So because it's weighed down by game design of the era or performance of the era? It's just because the last mission's really long, and you get like four trophies by starting the first mission on a certain type of thing. Like it has close combat or time attack or headshot mode. So you start there, do like the first checkpoint, and then quit out and do the last entire mission. So by the fifth time I had done that, six, because I'd beaten the game twice, because you have to beat it on a regular to unlock hard, and then you have to get hard. And this game's only like three, four hours long. But Oh god. Okay. By the time I was getting to the ending multiple times in a row. I was like, okay, this is the cur- curving mechanic has kind of grown stale, but it's fine. It's a good game. It's fun. I the weird thing fun about playing. Wanted is the idea that even when I was watching the movie, I was like, this is cool for a movie, but this is like ripe for game. Like, yeah. I'm actually surprised that I haven't seen another game bring in bullet curving as something. I, I mean, it doesn't make sense because it's really such fun a game mechanic. mechanic. Yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> awesome in there where you're just. You'll get behind cover and you're just shooting over it, and it does like the slow mo follow the bullet thing. I think it's really fun. I don't think it's a perfect think, game, but yeah, I think probably like the closest two things to those ideas I've seen is um, Sniper Elite with the bullet slow time thing yeah. where you see it go through. That's kind of that half of that, and then the other half is like a, a resistance. You could there's a gun that you can shoot a tag on somebody and then hide behind cover and then just shoot directly in front of you behind cover and it would turn the corner and go hit them because like they're seeking bullets basically, um, which is fun, but. It, it's it's like the wanted mechanic is both of those things smushed together where it's like you do it with an individual bullet and you can just kind of curve the thing around. It kind of makes me think, did you ever play Heavenly Sword? No, I didn't. Or, or Dark Sector? Did you ever play either of those games? No. Dark Sector is really good. I should You're sending me wanted. I should send you Dark Sector. It's actually a Sounds really cool good. game, and it's a it's a prequel, prequel to Warframe, or Warframe is technically a, a sequel to the world of Dark Sector. Cool. Uh, but they have these parts where, and there's definitely other games. Those are just the two that come to mind, where you have the ability to throw something and then, or shoot something, and then use the controller to like move it between the 3D space with the six axis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like, did want to do that on PS3? Like where do you curve the bullet with analog stick or do you actually like tilt the controller? No, it's analog stick. There's no <laughs> motion controls and wanted. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't be surprised. I just think it's interesting because 
they either got a lot of high t- like actors to do the voice set talent or like really good sound alikes because I think it sounds the only one I'm not sure about is I don't think Morgan Freeman's actually in the game, but I think Common's in the game and I think James McAvoy is. So it's like kind of impressive that they got all these people to do this mediocre now, game. I, I just got to find out. So let's see. Uh, now, Wes is uh, James McAvoy's character, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought. So that's Jimmy Simpson. That is, that is not James really. McAvoy. It sounds like James McAvoy. I was surprised. It's like Cross was is fun. voiced by Thomas Kretschmann. Peter Stormare is actually in there, which of course oh, that's good because he's, good. he's been in games plenty of time. Um, you are right. Common does voice Brummel. He does. He's in the game. All right, cool. Yeah, so he is. is two out of two out of four. I guess makes it's, it's, it's still like a mix. Good. A mixed bag. Yeah. The fact that they got anybody from the movie to come in is, is pretty yeah, cool. It's common, but no, I don't know. I mm. I mean, the James McAvoy, the West guy, sounds like James McAvoy. I really was convinced that it was the same dude. Oh, I didn't realize Jimmy Simpson. I, I knew I knew the name, but I didn't realize it's the guy who plays the McPoyle brother on <laughs> on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, and he's, he's on, been in. Uh, Prison he's a, he's a really great actor, actually. But yes, he, he is. is. He is in Prison Break as well. Yeah. Um, wow. See, right. now, you've, now you've told me who it is, and I'm like, yeah, no, yep, that makes more sense than James McAvoy. Have you ever read now, the Terrence Stamp does play Pukwarski or whatever his name Pukwarski? That's it. Yeah, he played him in the movie. And he played him in the movie. So um, they did a pretty good job of getting quite a bit of the movie voice actors to come over. Chris, yeah. have you ever read the graphic novel? No, I have not. Did you know that Wesley in the graphic novel is directly modeled after Eminem? Yeah, they want him to play them in the movie. Yeah, did you know that? I had zero. Clue. Uh, go look up Wesley Gibson graphic novel. It's it's Eminem. Like the yes. main character of that graphic novel is Eminem. Wow, it's it's pretty good. I have it somewhere. Or I used to. Is wanted? I haven't seen the wanted movie in a while. Is that the isn't like Chris Pratt in that movie? At yeah, the beginning? like as, really. As the, isn't he like is the roommate he? or coworker of of? Oh uh, yeah, 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 the one that gets smacked yeah. in the face of the keyboard. Yes, yeah, yeah. He's it, the one that he breaks the keyboard over or whatever. It's like pre uh, Parks and Recreation, Chris Pratt, which I think that's kind of what really rocketed him off to begin with. Even though he's been in plenty of things. Very interesting. <laughs> hmm. I forgot he was in that movie because he was the one who was like. Basically, old dude's girlfriend was cheating with him on too, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If I remember the story out right, hmm. co-worker and best friend. <clears throat> well, Wanted is a great game. I've been kind of in my PS3 bag recently, like only playing PS3 games. So do you feel nice. like there's a reason? Like, is it, does does Grand Theft Auto Three kind of fit into this bag of just being in a nostalgia field? Oh my God, that does look like Eminem. It's it's literally Eminem. Like it's it's, yes. it's it is Eminem. Yes, it is. Um, Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I just kind of. There's been something just more enjoyable about the way those games play, even though they kind of look like crap. You know, it's very. They're just very fun. You well, know, right you also now. have a game like Spec Ops where I, the play, like we talked about last week, is not like the most amazing thing. But I think that there's still there's I think gaming's gotten better at getting close to telling stories that are like Spec Ops. But I think Spec Ops still kind of exists in its own little area of a really interesting game from a oh, story yeah. um, a story perspective. <clears throat> and Spec I Ops think you know, when people talk about the games getting mature, I think Spec Ops did that. Long ago, I don't know what people yep. are talking about that now. Spec Ops did that in 2011, 10, whenever it came out. Well, yeah. So. Um, 
No, I don't know. Spec Ops was one of those things where I I beat it because I I got to a point where I just had to finish it. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever gotten at that point with a hard game where you're like, I don't even know if I want to keep playing this, but I want to tell it. myself I did it. You know? Yeah. And that's how Spec yeah. Ops was because it was so hard. Oh god, I was ready to give up so many times. And then you hit it with it. the old "I'm gonna quit," and then you probably beat it the next try. Yeah, dude, I went. There was one point. Because the game's actually on that FUBAR difficulty pretty easy until like the last four combat encounters. And I think yeah. I was in the Discord where I was saying, like, I, there was the first one of those four, I got so frustrated, I just got up and went for a walk. And I was gone for like four hours. And I came back, <laughs> beat it on the first try, and yeah. then realized that the next combat encounter was even harder. And I was like, there's no way I'm ever finishing this. Just take four-hour walks every time. Come back, yeah. you'll, you'll be resolved. The most efficient <laughs> way to go about it. You'll be steeled it. over, ready to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's something about that, though, because uh, Liam in the Discord is always kind of the person where I do it on purpose sometimes. When I know I'm stu- stuck in a game and I'm getting really frustrated, I'll just go to Discord and just start like complaining. And then suddenly, I'll go back and like next try, I beat it. And I'm like, I just needed to complain. I needed to set the world... <laughs> I need to vocalize it somewhere in the world, yeah. somehow, some way, through text, vocal, I, whatever it be. That's how I Because it's like when I was complaining talking. in your head doesn't work. You got to complain no. to someone else for the universe to set in motion. Exactly. Someone needs to know your struggle. <laughs> Is there a story that focuses around that? <laughs> it's like <laughs> we're all human. The human uh, connection. Game of Thrones last season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, what have you? Been so, playing? I have been playing Doki Doki Literature Club Plus, and nice. very good. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I of course got the platinum in um, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Also, I'm to the point where I get really tired of every Marvel video game making me say Marvels in front of it, so I'm just going to stop. Because um, I don't care. It's not Marvel's Avengers. It's Avengers. It's Spider-Man. It's just the game version of them. But they had to do that because of all those years of not great Spider-Man games. So they're like, well, we got to say Marvel Spider-Man so someone can tell the difference. Sour Um, time. But yeah, I've been, um, I I got platinum in that. And then I went to Doki Doki. Um, I've kind of been experimenting around with different things I want to play with and nothing sticking. So Chris, I, I started Tales of Arise last night. I've had it downloaded forever. Uh-huh. started Tales of Arise I played for about two hours and while I think it still does a better job at being quicker to get into things than like Tales of Berseria where I was like god this is so slow I'm still not really drawn into anything of, of Tales of uh, Arise and it's disappointing I think it's weird I think if I actually would have played Scarlet Nexus after Tales I think I might have done better because I, I think what it is is that Everything I thought Tales of Rise was going to be is what they ended up doing with Scarlet Nexus, where it's like <laughs> Scarlet Nexus feels more robust and higher budget than Tales does. It's a smaller okay. game, though not by a ton. To me, to me. I don't know how far I can't remember how far you got into uh and of course I didn't get that far into Tales of Rise, so I think we might be flipped from each other. You didn't get that far into Scarlet, I didn't get that far into Tales yet. Yeah. Um but last night I was literally playing it and I was so bored and I was just like, I'm just not connecting with this. I mean, it's it's kind of jank in a couple of areas for me that I'm, I, I don't get why my character can jump, but the jumping is basically pointless, uh, and that, which is weird because I'd rather a game just tell me I can't jump than let me jump and there's no reason to really jump. And then the one time I found a reason to jump, to jump into a like a, a reflection well in the middle of this city 
to get this little blue thing that's going. It took me like four tries to jump. I said, so you make it to where I can jump, and then every obstacle I can actually really do is like a micro platforming challenge. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It's like I see some of the same DNA in both of them where this idea of like when you do these uh, character cut scenes where it's like a couple of characters conversating with each other, they'll do the, these slide-in panels, which look better than what they used to do. Um, but I don't know. I just felt like character design was more interesting in Scarlet uh, Nexus. I felt like combat was more interesting in Scarlet Nexus. And I just, I don't know. It, it was, it's slightly disappointing. I'm trying not to give up on it yet. I haven't deleted it, but I did quit last night in the middle of playing because I was like, I don't, this isn't not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Which kind of puts me in the thing of after Doki Doki, I'm not sure what I want to play. I think I might start Lost and Random, but I was nice. kind of wanting to wait until um, me and you did a way out and finish that up. Yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. I don't really know what I want to do, but in a weird way, I guess connected to gaming, what I've been doing throughout the last couple of days when I didn't know what to play is watching the League of Legends Arcane series on Netflix, which I've already told you once to watch it, and I will tell you again, watch it. It's really good. I can't believe it. I had zero interest in League of Legends, but the the first trailer I saw this like that looks pretty good actually and that's really good animation to the point where i can't believe that this is like six animated 45 minute episodes or whatever it is i think it might be nine now you should play league of legends just try one game i'm not interested in in uh, (laughs) mobas at all but it's a free so i guess i could just one game nope disagree just try it look like i said i have for it I think what's interesting is I feel like me throwing out that people should watch Arcane probably carries a little more weight because I had zero care or interest or even knowledge of League of Legends outside that it existed and it's a MOBA until this. So I'm not coming in with any kind of predisposed bias. I just think it's beautiful. And the story is pretty good so far. I think it's really interesting. And it's like watching a bunch of almost Spider-Verse level animation just done over and over and over. And I'm, I'm still almost every time that like a, a scene's playing out. I'm like, I can't believe how good this looks. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so it's half of it. I mean, it is one of those things where it's so artistic that I'm just, I can't believe what kind of budget had to have been thrown at that. It seems like it would be high. I know that Riot Games has a history of crazy stuff. And you know what? I don't know much about it. I just know that there was some going on, but I'm still going to watch this show. Just going to tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's really good. I'm I'm halfway through it um, right now. I guess I'm four episodes through. So well, that's my like uh, my tip of the day. What it brings me to an interesting thing that we haven't talked about. Uh, well, I guess we we talked about a, a few episodes back. Um, is kind of this thing that we were doing where we were talking about when Kina's developers said that they were not they were most likely not going to make a, another game for Kina uh, and that they were going to do something else, but that they might expand Kina elsewhere. I was kind of with you that who knows how well it would work, but I don't know. Honestly, this kind of gives me hope because seeing a game world and lore and be expanded through uh, completely different means and be done so well, if it's, if it's handled the right way, I think that Kina going off into a movie or a series could really work. No, my only issue with that though is is going back to what we said was that like League of Legends does not look like that. It does not play like that. It doesn't. You're it's right. The same reason why Castlevania works. I but think you're. Kena, yeah, it's Kena, so disconnected from what the actual game is. At that point, though, Kina though is too similar to what that is. That, I think that's, that's where it would not work compared to 
that because that like you said you or at least like, it's a bigger hurdle right yeah and you don't like league of legends but you like the way that that animation was done and stuff like that but i feel like if you do kina like you, if they did it differently then it would probably work like if they did like an anime style kina that'd probably be sick that would be kind of interesting but i have oh, a feeling that's not what they would do which brings me to something about that too one of the things that was taking me out of tales chris and i just really surprised because i've played the other ones normally uh, you have that big long animated like anime style cutscene, not in-game engine but anime style cutscene at the beginning uh and then you get a few here and there throughout the game it's not very common in the older ones um that i've played but here i feel like every other cutscene is switching to the anime style and i don't like the difference between the two i think the first one's fine but i think it's really jarring when you suddenly switch to anime and then two seconds later you're back to in-game engine following the same events i'm like oh this is weird i did not care for that <laughs> so i'm i'm hoping that's something that doesn't just keep going on until should i make myself should i make my way back to it but ooh that was odd I would almost have preferred to just be all in engine because the game looks a lot better than old Tales games did for the most part. Oh, man. All right, let's see. I know that we have a piece of news that I missed last week, and I think I even mentioned going into the episode that I felt like I'd missed something uh, that I want to talk about. So it came courtesy of No Fate, one of our patrons and longtime listeners. He says... Um, Hey, I don't recall if you guys talked on the podcast about the news of Amy Hennig working on a new Marvel game. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, expectations, and dream franchise that you'd wanted to be working on. And for anybody that somehow doesn't know uh, at this point, uh, Skydance Media um, is like a they do movies and TV shows and stuff like that. They've made a gaming division and that Amy Hennig is heading and they've announced a partnership uh, with Marvel for a game. So... Uh, I know it's kind of off the top of your head, but if you guys had, with Amy Hennig in mind and Marvel, if you guys had a, a franchise either that you would like to see her touch or this that Marvel hasn't done yet turn into a game, uh, do you have one that comes to mind that you'd like to see? And what kind of game, if you could, would it kind of end up being? Chris, you got anything? I know you're a big Marvel fan, so I feel like you're probably the best fit here for this question. Um, not off the top of my head. I'd have to actually think about it. If it makes you feel better, I had to think about it. I, it took me almost all week to kind of land on where I think I want to go. And I didn't like heavily think about it, but it would just cross my brain occasionally. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So, uh, Saul. I'll come up with one. Come back to me. <laughs> uh, Daredevil. Daredevil. Amy Hennig, you know, if we have good writing chops down, I think that's what Daredevil needs the most because obviously the nature of Daredevil. Do you remember the Daredevil, the Daredevil gameplay leak that was just a black screen? Yeah, that, that's yeah. <laughs> well, it does bring in the question though of like when you do Daredevil, what are you doing? I, I guess you can do the age old pull back to a third person camera, and regardless of the fact that he's blind, we know that within the world he uses different means to move around. So us seeing him move around is not akin to him being able to see. Right. Um, and I think I think it could be done pretty well. I think that there's a clever way to do him too that that looks better like when you're playing or feels better when you're playing and not necessarily from like a thought process. Well, and you know what would get me too is I think if you take the Daredevil idea and kind of mix it with what Hellblade did with Sinuous Sacrifice and in combat mix a lot of audio design cues into it so that whenever you're about to get hit or whatever, you kind of hear the little warning from the, the back and you could do it in such a way where... You, it would draw people to want to wear headphones because like when we were playing Hellblade, I kept telling people, this is probably one of the few games where I really think you should play it with headphones. Yeah, like that's it's required to. And honestly, that like Daredevil could be a, 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 a you know the same kind of thing in there. Um, there's a part 
where Daredevil in the comics regains his vision back and he sees um um why can't I think of his name? I'm not sure. I've actually never read any of the Daredevil comics. I've not read this one. I've just read they're right here. And it's this it's the 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 pain of the comic that you see. Um it's in Iron Man actually. See like that right there, how it's like designed? Yeah. Like that's what he looks like normally. It'd be interesting to see a game like that. Oh, you're talking about with uh, almost like the curse of the Oberdin style. Yeah. Uh, I actually have thought about that too. Uh, there's also a VR game where you make noise and the world illuminates around you. Now here's the thing. I'm not sure that a Marvel game that's trying to be a large scale game would be ballsy enough to do that. Cause it's kind of like an indie thing, but yeah. I would love to see a daredevil game where basically as you walk and continue to do things that make noise, the world gets illuminated based on how the sound bounces off of it. Um, I just, I think that that's a little too niche for, a large audience to want to take a chance on. I, I'm, I'm unsure. Chris, do you think that that wouldn't matter to the audience in terms of kind of playing out a visual version of daredevil stuff? Um, I don't know. I think the problem with daredevil is that you should just make a third person game with daredevil. You know? Yeah. I think once you get into like trying to simulate being blind in a video game, it's just, I don't think that, it's fun, you know, personally. Well, that's I why. Because you can do that game. in a third person. And, and what Saul was talking about, too, is this idea of like, even if the game was third person, what if the whole world kind of had this uh, almost like a black backdrop with neon lines look to it, where everything's visible and you can see it, but then it's kind of like everything is built up of... Their take on like echolocation. Yeah, to a degree. Like, yeah. and, and maybe not even what I'm talking about where you're dealing with the fact of having to move to make sound to get that. Even if it was just that the game looked like that, it would be interesting. But go ahead. What were you going to say? I don't know. I just don't... I don't think that serves an entire like 20, 30 hour game. No, well, you know, no, it, has to, it doesn't have to be that long either. I would hope well, that a Daredevil game is not that long. <laughs> Yeah, I, like I mean, have to be open world. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't have to but be I don't long. think it's I don't think it serves really anything but like a telltale style game to do something like that. I mean but that's I mean, yeah, it's but that's, interesting. I just don't I'm see talking it. about really. <laughs> well, I'm you're, not about like a, a, you're not that, getting you're not getting a telltale from Indiana. That's what I'm saying. That's kind of where I that, got that's fair. That. Um I don't think we I don't think necessarily either her going off and her her doing this on her own too, we'd get a thirty to forty hour like open world adventures like Superman game from Amy. I'll, I don't think God I mean, I'll, that either, I'll clarify, but I think her type of game, any length in like a, I would rather it just be a regular art style than try and do something super artsy and it ends up just not working the best because it fits. You know what I mean? If you're going to do Daredevil yeah. for me, I'd say just make a third person game. And the story is about him being blind. I don't necessarily want to see like, them try and simulate it because I just don't know if that works. You know? Yeah, I mean, fair. Uh, which kind of brings me to the second thing when you're talking about you don't know how that would work for anything other than a Telltale game. Uh, with with you landing on Daredevil, uh, Saul, what kind of game like play would you like? What kind of game would you be looking at? Um, actually, since Matt Murdock's a lawyer, I think it'd be cool to do Phoenix Wright style uh, gameplay segments where you're having to do like a visual novel-esque kind of thing with them. And then, of course, it would go to uh, then just probably third person action. Okay, which actually is kind of interesting because my answer that I came up with is about their secondary life. Thing. Well, I guess really in this case, it's more of their main one, but um, 
I, I like that idea of, and I, and I think Marvel does that to a little bit, right? Where I feel our uh, Marvel uh, Guardians of the Galaxy does that to a little bit, where I feel like they they take certain parts of the game to really focus on Peter supposed to be being this leader and kind of slow the game down and give him moments where he's got to communicate and work with the crew before you go back out into the bombastic action because it paints the action parts that you're doing and the the things that happen within those differently based on what you did during the leadership sections. Would you say that that's fair, Chris? I mean, did you kind of take the game the same way? Um, yeah, it's definitely fair. Uh, I think the one that I landed on uh, that I think would be interesting for Amy's specific thing, but also because I feel like there's a game I've played before that I liked that did it, but didn't really get a lot of um, attention. And I think it could still be done better uh, is I was thinking a Jessica Jones game with her and uh-huh. it kind of be a mix between like a clearly it would, it would be, I think open world would be good. And I kind of brings to mind like Arkham um, Arkham city, where there's like you actually do a lot of your like detective work and private investigation work and whatnot to lead you down different clues to find the side missions. And I think that'd be a really cool way to do that. Um, but also, and Chris, I think you at least know what I'm talking about. Saul, you might. Um, there's a game called Murdered Soul Sacrifice yep, that yep. in a lot of ways is kind of what I'm talking about where you play as a detective who's been killed, but in your death, you're still trying to solve the case uh, and go down. And I think that you could take that idea of doing this, like I'm going to really focus on this aspect and make it interesting and fun. And I think you could do that with Jessica Jones, but then she still has powers to make combat really interesting. Whereas I think like Murdered Soul, uh, uh, Murdered Soul Suspect or whatever was more of... Um, I think I, it's it's weird. I remember the game more for its non-combat sections. I think it had combat with gun. I think it was a shooting game, a third-person mm-hmm. shooter. But that's just not the memorable part of the game. Uh, but I think that leaning towards something story-heavy and taking an interesting character that I think Amy could work with and that would befit a game that I think would fit Amy's normal length of a, you know around a 15 to 20-hour game at most um, Jessica Jones would be pretty cool, and I would if it, if it's go- in terms of main story. If it needs to be larger because it's open world or something, uh, that would be fine. And like I said, do the Arkham City style thing where you're like, whenever the part of Arkham City where you track down Hush is awesome because it's all about yeah. just being detective. And I think that's one of the best side missions in the whole mm-hmm. the whole game. So, Chris, have you come back on anything yet? I have. Yes, it's um, black. I would want a Black Widow or White Widow game from her. Okay. So what, what kind of game do you think Widow. Black Widow would be? Or e- even even White Widow? What, what kind of game would you be looking for? Well, that that actually sounds really that sounds really close to naturally uncharted mechanics, which is something she's already very familiar with. Well, that's with. kind of my thing is like I would do either like if I was doing Black Widow, I would have just Natasha going it would just be missions of her infiltrating and doing assassinations and stuff, all kind of going towards this bigger story. But I think I kind of prefer a White Widow thing just because then you could do like the Young Avengers or the Secret Avengers, that kind of stuff, like in the background of that. So you have her doing okay. her own missions and then you can have like these team up sections of stuff like that, which I think would be cool. I just think the just give me a stealth game with those mechanics. Like if you now, got a Black Widow if you, game. If you had to attach it to a stealth game stylistically, like w- leaning towards one stealth game that you would like it to man. use as kind of a footprint. Okay. That's what, I, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hitman. I figured with your love for Hitman. Because <laughs> if you could do like these sections of Black Widow kind of sneaking through and doing it really hard, and then they have these big, oh no, the mission went bad sections, and it's all these shooting. And I think it just works together to make a really cool 
cool game out of it personally. Okay. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of like a, a game I always loved for its uh, stealth style was uh, Chronicles of Riddick: Escape from Butcher Bay, mm. uh, and I like that it kind of did what you're talking about, where like a lot of the game is really stealth oriented, but there are parts where you can either mess up and then suddenly it becomes bombastic. What? How do you react now that you've been caught? Uh, and then, of course, the game sometimes basically forces your hand into a position where no matter how good a stealth you're going to do, the game's going to make you be seen so that it can move plot along in a, in a certain way or style. Uh, and I think those are, that's, I love that game. It's a great game. Yeah. But that, that's a first-person game, and I, it'd be really interesting to see Black Widow be done in first-person. I don't think I hope would it wouldn't that. be. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, the thing is, is I honestly can't think of any Marvel game that I think would end up in first person. I think Marvel knows that their characters are their thing and that more often than not, they're going to want you to see that character. I could see like an old school style. Like It would be cool if they, in some dream world, they went to id and were like, hey, you guys want to do a Punisher game? <laughs> oh my god dude that would actually be awesome and like yeah. leaning lean really like some people didn't like it but the 2008 punisher movie they came out with uh punisher mm-hmm. dead zone i think is what it was called thomas jane one i think is that oh, what you're talking about? i gotta remember the punisher oh, war zone punisher war zone um where it's like very military focused and ray stevenson's the punisher in that one yeah um that movie is crazy and super mm-hmm. brutal. And I think letting uh, id Software do that style of game That'd be so with cool. Punisher would be super sick. Um, I mean, like, I do like the actual Punisher storyline of like the, you know, the wife and kids of it all. Um, yeah, sure. And, but I, I still think there's something that's so cool about just the be a brutal Punisher. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. It'd be awesome. I did always say it wouldn't be a, a Hennig style game, but I think take my black widow idea and do it in the style of mark of the ninja. And you have just a, like a game of the year <laughs> that I would, play, yeah. that I would love to play. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of room, but it's just, I'm always curious to see, can the big developers name, like big developer names attached to them. Can that allow the games to still take really odd chances and do something that you wouldn't expect in terms of, genre or certain gameplay mechanics i mean i would i hope so i think marvel wouldn't necessarily shut it down because i think that that some of their more risky movies have ended up being very big payoffs for them and you could do that in gaming as well and i mean they are doing that for access xcom style game so i mean they're willing yeah you're right which is a which is a very different style game so you're fair yeah fair point uh anyway sean i hope that gives you uh, sean said that his were punisher so comes in there blade black widow and then hawkeye i think blade could be really interesting but i don't know how exactly i'd want it to go i have this idea of like it'd be interesting to see blade almost play out in a way that was like um which i guess maybe vampire masquerade would have some of that style stuff in it if it ever <laughs> comes out <laughs> uh, but i'm also thinking of uh vampire where it'd be in- almost interesting to kind of reverse that to where instead of playing as a vampire you're still in a world that's affected by vampires yeah. and you're just moving through which i guess could end up well it doesn't look See, like it from the screenshots but that uh what's that arcane game redfall yeah redfall yeah but I don't know. I I almost hope they do. If if we get to a point where Marvel games are kind of ubiquitous, I hope they do something kind of kind of more fun. And if if I was going to get a Blade game, I would want it to be a survival horror game where I have to be hiding from Blade the whole time. 
Uh, so you want to you want to you want to be a vampire that's trying to hide from Blake? Yeah, like think about that like, would actually be interesting. The, being a survival horror from what is commonly known as the enemy, but you would be them instead. Well, think about like what if every mission is just you trying to escape from Blade, and they all end with Blade killing you. But it's like that <laughs> that immersive storytelling of like what's going on with the vampires that you find out more from the vampires' perspective, and it's just escape from this and then it gives you story stuff and then blade kills you at the end and it'd be cool as soon as i think you said that would that, be more fun you just, yeah i think it would be interesting too you gave me like that what would people think if they made alien isolation in reverse where it's the it's the xenomorph constantly hiding from like sigourney <laughs> weaver's character <laughs> like oh man <laughs> she's coming cool. for me like i would you know like- it, it's like the Punisher, where instead of playing as the Punisher and it being like that, it's actually you as the uh, you as the Punisher trying to hide from Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, who you feel like <laughs> is trying to hunt you down. Yeah, I mean, there's always interesting stuff. Like, I'd love a Telltale game that takes place in the world of the Flash, but it's just one dude, and you see his life just go bad every time the Flash reverses time again. And I you just brought love to this see up that to kind me of at least before, but yeah, that yeah. would be interesting. Uh, well, it's that idea of like changing it up to where you're seeing the events happen through a non-traditional character. Well, yeah, exactly. Because you don't always need to see a story from the freaking superhero's point of view. I think that would be more fun. And in video games, you have so much freedom to do that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, and I think that, that even like the idea of like the that's what makes antiheroes so fun is because like you're kind of getting to see a superhero story through the lens of a non-traditional superhero because it's like it's someone that has questionable morals, so you're kind of like it's more fun in a way. I think it's part of what made like Infamous One and Two really good is that you had that ability to kind of be like I'm going to do something that a hero would never do, even yeah. though this is ostensibly a superhero game. I'm gonna kill them nurses. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, what a scene! <laughs> I actually, like, I still don't want to say it. It's so old and it shouldn't even matter, but I hope that they remake Infamous 1 because I think Infamous 1 has such a, a fantastic story. I agree. It's, it just yeah. reminds me of the uh, Green Goblin. Suffer the little children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to go ahead and go into news. But remember, if you want to be part of our community stakes section, which we normally get into after the news, you can head over to our social media, which is at, over on Twitter. It's at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook in the group Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Or you can join the Discord, which is linked down in the description below, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening on podcast services. If you are listening on podcast services and you like the show, uh, consider giving us a review. Let other people know if they would like the show, uh, which helps us out, get new people in, so we have new people to talk to with that. And uh, We appreciate all of you have done that throughout the years you guys are great uh remember that if you want to support these shows with more than just your time which we are always so thankful for you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month really helps us keep the show going without having to dig into our own pockets and we are forever appreciative of it but first thing in the news uh is that ahead of tiny tina's wonderlands her borderlands 2 dlc which is tiny tina's assault on dragon keep a wonderlands one-shot adventure has been released as a standalone release with new features and trophy support including a platinum for just 9.99 uh this is the one that i remember people talking about that i have never played um it doesn't look bad but it's also one of those things to keep in mind that while this is cool to see it as a standalone this is a standalone expansion of a 2013 game for Borderlands 2. Mm-hmm. So expect it to play a little datedly, but if you like Borderlands, then you probably find something to like here. Uh, Saul, I think you you played this before. Was it you that played all the, the Borderlands 2 DLC or was it Borderlands 1? Both. 
both. Okay. Borderlands 1 is the one I played and beat, and I never beat Borderlands 2. Um, still haven't. I've had multiple opportunities, and so it just hasn't hit me. I have never played uh, Borderlands uh, DLC, Borderlands 3 DLC, though. I've played like the first two hours of Borderlands 3 and kind of lost interest again. <laughs> so you think this is cool? I guess so. <laughs> you guess so, huh? Yeah, I, I I think the new game looks pretty cool. The new game does look good, which I guess if the new game... I guess the idea here is that since the new game is inspired by this, that you can just throw this out. Yeah. Um, Chris, you've played this before, right? I have, yeah. This is yeah. good. This is like probably one of the only DLCs I think is like genuinely great. Because I like yeah. Tiny Tina, and I like the D&D mechanic and how they use it in the game, so... Yeah, and I think the way that the Borderlands has like their charm and their humor it could work really well for like a D and D style game. I'm really curious how the new one's going to tell it, like how the story's going to be told. If it's going to actually have D and D real elements in it, or if it's just going to borrow from D and D's universe with the enemies and stuff like that. Oh yeah, or how much they'll like supplant D and D enemies with similar like take a, an enemy within D&D's book, book and then be like, what do we have in our world that's similar? It's like when Magic the Gathering they did a D and D thing. Uh, either earlier this year or late, late last year, where they made like D and D themed cards, but then there was an actual like thing that you could play D and D with with those cards. Oh, cool! Yeah, <laughs> like you have a secondary use for your cards. Yeah, so like, yeah, you could play D and D with them, or you could play them. You know, just have like a eye or um, uh, beholder. Is it beholder? No. What is it called? The floating eyeball. Oh, uh, mm, I think you're right. Beholder. It is beholder. I think. Yeah. So you could have like a beholder eye or something. Yeah. Um, first boss in the yeah beholder. Um, first boss in the original. Um, my brain is failing me right now. Uh, Dark Alliance, Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance. Oh, interesting. Really cool boss. But yeah, here's one thing. Do you guys think that that you would both be since y'all are both aware of this? Do you feel like y'all would be as hyped for the new one without this one kind of setting the expectation, or do you think that th- this impacts any of them at all? I don't think it does anything at all, really. Yeah, I mean, I think there's. I didn't know this existed, and when they showed off the new Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, I was like, "That's interesting. This like, is that act- looks almost more fun than Borderlands Three did." I <laughs> actually, I did not play this one. When I said I played all the DLC, I forgot this one existed. Nice. I didn't play this one. Look at that. Yeah. I don't know. I like this. Um, I think the way they tell the story, like her just being like, oh, it's raining, and then it just starts raining in game. Like, I think that's kind of cool. So I hope yeah. they do more of that in Tiny Tina's, but I wasn't looking forward to Tiny Tina's to begin with. So this is more just like, oh, I liked that DLC, and it's 10 bucks, so they got me to buy it, but I don't know that it's going to move the needle for me to play the next one. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I like that idea of what you're talking about too, where, where this idea of like the the narration affects the game in some weird way. I think that that's all. Like, of course, that's it's scripted, but it's still cool to kind of feel like you're running around and then she's just like stumbling through trying to be a DM. So, yeah, that's pretty it's, cool. It's great. Next thing up, PS4 exclusive, The Tomorrow Children, which was a free-to-play co-op adventure game released back in 2016 and killed off much like Sony's other small online initiatives such as Kill Strain and Drawn to Death, uh, is getting a second lease at life, and this was the most popular of them, so that's not too surprising. Uh, as it seems, Sony and Q Games have reached an agreement for the developer to acquire the rights to handle the title. Um, the title will be reworked to some degree before eventually being relaunched at a later date. Now, this is pretty interesting primarily because even if you're not interested in the game itself, 
it is very unheard of and more or less unpre- uh, unprecedented for Sony to sell back an IP to someone once they take ownership. For going back forever, Sony's thing when they would partner up third party with a game uh, or second party rather with a developer is that okay here you know you're not one of our studios but you're going to have you do a game for us and we'll take ownership of the rights. That's why even though Insomniac wasn't owned by PlayStation for the majority of their time working together. Marvel Spider-Man was not an Insomniac IP. Uh, Ratchet and Clank was not an Insomniac IP, nor was Resistance. So it's pretty interesting to see that gone. The only time I can really think of Sony doing something similar is when they had heavily invested into, uh, I can't remember the name of the studio, but it was for Rhyme. Uh, the little and Rhyme is a fantastic game, but it had a bunch of development problems, and then Sony kind of just let them take full ownership of the IP back and divest it themselves. So interesting to see the implications of that on things, and uh, we'll see what ends up coming of that once it comes back around. Maybe it has a much stronger rebirth we'll, we'll find out uh next thing up marvel avengers is finally adding spider-man for playstation versions of the game as teased back before release a new trailer revealing the character shows him at work on enemies during a cg cutscene, but no gameplay for the web pad has been revealed yet uh which does lead to the question of how exactly is he going to play and and are they adding new stuff is he gonna be playable and everything lots of questions um but it shouldn't be long before we do see how that plays out because he's supposed to be added to the game on November 30th. So you don't have long to wait. Uh, something we were talking about earlier is it's like, I, I think it is weird to be what roughly 15 days out from uh, by the time this episode goes up, at least from the release of this character. And we still don't know what he looks like in game. That's a little odd to me. I'm assuming they had their reasons for doing so. Um, do you guys think that Spider-Man really does anything to move the needle in any direction for this game? Because I know none of us have played Marvel's Avengers for like a long period. I think Chris is actually saw you hadn't played it at all. Have I haven't you? played it at all. Me, Spider-Man, Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, and that doesn't do anything. It's a, he's a, he's tied with my favorite superhero. Coincidentally enough, we'll get into the other one here in a second. But yeah, it doesn't do anything. Huh. Well, I think I think I know Chris's answer. I don't think this moves the needle for Chris at all either, because Chris has played the game, and I think it only resolved him to think that the game is worse than he probably thought prior. Yeah, um, yeah. This is nothing to me. I didn't. This was. I didn't even care enough to watch the CGI trailer. I was like, oh, that looks like Spider Man. You know what's weird about uh, Avengers in the first place, though, is I feel like Avengers came out what August fourteenth, so it's been over a year, and we've known about this for over a year i guess to me i thought it it was odd that it took so long to get spider-man when he was announced so early like he wasn't announced after the game came out he was announced prior to release i guess i never anticipated over a year to get him i would have thought that the moment the game started doing kind of poor they were like "Uh, let's try and get spider-man in as quickly as possible to see if it can help with anything yeah you'd think i think it was just one of those things where it was probably like they said to themselves, this is a exclusive character and we've got other crap to deal with. So they probably yeah, just and- kept pushing it or wasn't a priority to get done immediately. Maybe. And of course, like you said, you deal with this thing where it's like the game is doing bad across the board. Do you really want to only make it do better on PlayStation consoles when you have PC and, and Xbox to deal with? You know, it's right. like at that That's point, maybe let's do something that makes the whole game better for the majority of playership. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting to see. Do you think that the whole uh, idea of Crystal Dynamics moving on and doing this work with the initiative comes from the fact that uh, Avengers kind of underperformed? Do you think that's kind of why they found themselves in this support studio position? Yes. 
I think Absolutely. so as well. Interestingly enough, and which is a shame because I think Crystal's made some really good games and it sucks to kind of see them not get to push forward making their own games. But you also have this thing of like, what were they going to make next? Because what did they make all last gen? They made Thief, right? Mm-hmm. Tomb Raider. Or did, actually, who made Thief? Was it Eidos Montreal? I think it was Eidos Montreal. So they just made Tomb Raider <laughs> the entirety of last Thief. gen up until Marvel's. Uh, yeah, you know, Montreal. Um, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta admit, I kind of hope that Microsoft just buys Square Enix from, or Jesus Christ, that Microsoft buys Crystal from Square and just actually gives them Perfect Dark, since that appears to be their game with uh, some initiative thrown in there. So, <laughs> so the roles are actually uh, reversed. It's that they're not a support studio. It's that the initiative is a support studio. I, I, it's just, it's one of those things where. Everything they're talking about how small and dynamic the initiative is. And then Crystal Dynamics, the Square Enix owned studio, is doing your support studio stuff. Is I feel like, nah, I feel like that's more than a support studio. So it's probably a it's, lot of their DNA. I think it's an interesting idea to make a studio. And I'm not saying that this is what Microsoft's actually aiming for, but maybe it's just where they happen to be. So they're leaning into it. I think there's an interesting idea of making a studio that's only like basically creative lead strong. And then you just couple them with other support studios to actually make the games. And they're all just joint ventures. It could work if you really know that you have the right creative drive, but you just want to employ him and have some of the rights and then, let the development go off to teams that you know are good work and and do so relatively quickly. I get. I don't I guess, think we're going to see a lot of that in gaming, but it's an interesting idea. No, well, it always brings up the like just the why. Why not pair Square or pay Crystal to make this game and have the initiative do their own game? You know, it, to me, it kind of feels like if uh, Sony was like, "Listen, Kojima, we got you Silent Hill. You're going to make it," and then they also go, "Hey, Resident Evil team." Can uh can we borrow you for a console cycle to make this Silent Hill game as Kojima's support studio? Do you know what I mean? Like it's like you're getting a Resident Evil game in the Silent Hill franchise by Kojima being helped by Resident Evil. Kind of like just let them do their own stuff, I guess. If any it of that is, made sense. It, it is odd. I mean, I guess the example I gave is kind of like what Square does every now and then, or Square did with like near um uh, both times actually, because when they, when when it was Kavia, uh, Kavia or whatever making Near, and then Yoko Taro was the creative director on it, and then whenever it was Platinum Games developing Near Automata with um, Yoko Taro being creative director on it, those are interesting situations where I guess it really is just Square being like we employ the creative director. And then we just find the team that we want to make the game with the creative director, which I guess that's still different than the initiative because the initiative is still what like forty to eighty strong or something like that yeah somewhere around there so it's it's an odd setup but I'm curious to see how that game turns out just because it's a, a very interesting way that the industry has taken a turn uh let's see next thing up concept art from a canceled batman game has appeared online and showcases an older gray bearded batman alongside a younger batman brandishing a red bat symbol the designs would fit perfectly basically into the basic premise of batman beyond where of course you have an older bruce wayne who who chooses to retire uh, or basically has to retire and pulls in young terry mcginnis to take his place as batman um but it would seem that while there were rumors of batman beyond game in development that this likely points at uh that it was of course either canceled or put on the back burner in favor of suicide squad kill the justice league and of course gotham knights um 
think this one's really interesting. I love the way that the the concept art looks, and I'm kind of bummed that we didn't get to see this because after Arkham Knight, my like my gut was like they need to do Batman Beyond, where this particular version, definitely with the way that Arkham Knight ends, this particular version of Bruce goes so long, and then his crime starts to rise back up, he feels the need to find someone to fulfill his role as Batman, so that Batman has this idea of being even more of a symbol, which I think ties into the way that Arkham Knight ends. Um, Saul, would you have liked to see this? Yes, and I hope it's still not canceled. I still hope it's. I hope it really is on the back burner. I can imagine Bruce after the ending of Arkham Knight, like having five years go by in that universe and then things in Arkham kind of swell back up again. And then him like, I have to find somebody else. Well, it's weird. I don't want to spoil the end of Arkham Knight too much, but you have this idea where Batman's still around in a very odd sense and yeah. s- seemingly using the fear toxin. Yeah. If you, if you do everything to get the hidden ending. Yeah. So if you keep going, right. And, and you keep going through that, Arguably, there is a Batman. So I guess you could do the real Batman Beyond setup where you go a little more futuristic and you have it be that like 20 years go by. Because I would say in the Arkham games, Bruce feels like he's like maybe 30 to 40, right? Yeah. So have it be like 20 years in the future. He's getting in his 60s. He's getting up there and he's having a harder time doing it. And he kind of gets this point of like, huh. But then there's all sorts of things too. It's like, would they want to actually look at the Batman Beyond story of like Terry being a clone of him? No. Would they uh, even bother? You no, know, please don't do that. Yeah, I. Oh, in the show, I love that storyline. But uh, yeah, but it's. I don't know. It just feels weird nowadays. Back then, that was something fun, right? Like that was something unique. But now it feels like clone. Pe- people yeah, have done it's, that it's enough it's times. Too much. Chris, you have any interest yes. in Batman? Um, I have some interest in Batman. Yeah, uh, not this one. I, I like. Bruce Wayne, Batman. I never connected with any of the other ones. So, well, the, the great just, thing about the original Batman Beyond show is that Bruce was still there the entire time. <laughs> so you get to deal with like Bruce scolding the new one for like doing things differently, which is always interesting because it's like you're not you're not the new Batman. You can't you can scold me all you want, but you know I'm my own person. I'm Batman. There's a I'm Batman. There's an <laughs> there's an episode of Batman Beyond where the Joker comes back. Basically, and like he's uh-huh. old, and he, he, he basically uh, Terry McGinnis's uh, Batman runs into the new Joker thugs or whatever, uh, and then you kind of have Bruce and and Joker come back together, and it's really cool. I love that episode. I think that Batman Beyond has so much potential to be given the Arkham treatment that like the Arkham games did to the idea of like, what if we made a very heavily dark version of Batman animated series and Batman Beyond by all real measures is like a continuation of the animated series. It kind of is. Yeah. I mean, the Bruce I, I, is the same voice actor, if I'm not Kevin mistaken. Conroy. Yeah. And then and it has a very similar animation style. So it would have been cool. And, and I still hold hope. Do you think it'd be something that we see actually Rocksteady come back around to, or would you want to hope so? I, I, I know Rocksteady's not done with Batman. That I know that. Well, there, I guess no, they're not because Batman's in the Justice League. So yeah, there's no way. <laughs> So I have a feeling that like if they do come back, I hope Batman Begins is what they come back to. Interesting. All right, next thing up. Sega have filed a handful of trademarks recently with one of them being for Sonic Frontiers, which could hit at the name of our next 3D entry in the series, which kind of lines up because there's rumors that say the game uh, may be open world, which would be a fitting name for that. Um, though I think Sonic Adventure is still a great name. <laughs> so <laughs> who knows? We'll see if uh, the next 3D Sonic has 
any kind of real impact to the fandom and if they end up loving it. And also how much the fandom has grown since the last 3D Sonic game to begin with, considering that the Sonic movie was huge. So we will see. Uh, next thing up is pretty interesting, and it's one of the sad things about licensing. Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3, as well as their HD versions, have been removed from digital storefronts as well as PS Now as an issue with licensing for historical archive footage that was used in the games has been brought forward. Konami asked for patience as they work toward renewing these licenses, but there is always the reality that if for some reason they can't renew these licenses, uh, the game could come back with those scenes pulled, which I think would be really interesting. Uh, they're, they're not like super heavy scenes that are important to the story, but they kind of like buoy the serious nature of the way the story chose to play out its um, political whatever you want to call that uh, aspects kind of going in. So it's unfortunate. And I think it kind of goes towards the idea of something we were talking about in the discord the other day, which is a hard conversation to have because licensing of stuff is always going to be an issue because the only solution to it is to pay for a lifetime, like basically a permanent license. But if you're paying for a permanent license, it's so much money in comparison to a, Hey, can I have this license for two years? Hey, can I have this license for five years? Whatever it be. Uh, and I think you kind of deal with this in games where this kind of brings back my thing of this is another example where I think digital rights, like digital, digital ownership rights are important because if these never come back at all, or if they never, which seems really unlikely, or if they never come back in their original form, for all the people that have the original version of it, I feel like it would be great for someone to be like, I'm done with Metagross Solid. I'm just going to sell you my Metagross Solid too. And I still hope that that's something we get to this gen that. I don't think it'll be this gen, but I think that I think once that what they'll do is they'll start clearing up more and more digital rights. I don't think, I don't think trading or selling is among those, uh, especially selling. I don't think that that's going to be one of their priorities, but I think when they start getting into the nitty gritty of how digital rights work, like in a, in a, in a more in depth way. Um, so stuff like this doesn't necessarily happen and they start preparing themselves for stuff because you feel like that this, this should have been a thought that there's somebody that works for Konami that has all these licenses that, that are in order on an Excel sheet somewhere. That's like, I need to in, in two years, I need to re- renew that and they get on it before it expires. Yeah. And at least do it from a priority basis. Yeah. Like you can look and go, well, that game just even did really badly. So let's not yeah. worry about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unnecessary money, but Hey, we're still getting plenty of sales on Metal Gear Solid two and three. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's re up. Anytime this. a license is filed, they, I, I feel like that they, sh- they would have somebody that would have all those licenses in one place that they can look at and determine, you know, and then if they can't say like, because I'm pretty sure what they're referring to is Cold War footage in Metal Gear Solid Two, and then I think it's World War, which I actually kind of think is interesting. I didn't think that footage. you should have to license. So I, I never even thought of that. I thought this is I like neither, and that's 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 archival. That's, footage. Yeah, I, I would have thought that that wouldn't have been subject to licensing. Maybe because they're made in a different country. The games are maybe I, I don't know, but um. Yeah, but they could easily have like tried, you know, a year ago to get this process started or however long it takes to renew a license. And then if they couldn't get it, make a public announcement of like, sorry, we like not we'll keep you informed once we find stuff out. Yeah. Kind of thing. Well, what I think is so weird about this is kind of going back to the idea of licensing behind this is I would have never thought that like big war, like footage from big wars that could be used for historical purposes should be hidden behind licenses. I would have thought that that would have been something that would be like public domain to where it's like everyone can see it for the purposes of, of education. You know what I mean? I once, I once, well, to be fair, I think that that is what it is. But once you take it and you put it into a game and, and you then market sales, it. yeah, I think that then, then you maybe have to license that footage. 
mm. especially if it's a game made in a different country. That's the thing that I'm I'm wondering if there's a if there's a line there. Well, there's other countries involved with the Cold War in general, right? So I mean, I, I guess it feels weird, but I guess it depends on what where the footage is from. Was the footage yeah. footage from the U.S. Army or something that that took this footage? Either way, it's unfortunate to see, but I think it, there's a couple things happening with a couple of games with licensing right now that kind of go into this idea of how to better preserve licenses for future use. Uh, and potentially at least the importance of digital rights ownership in the long run should these eventually hit a point where you just can't do anything about it. Um, so unfortunate, but that's where we are. Hopefully it comes back. I would be very surprised if they don't get this back. But the other side of that is just because the license is up for renewal doesn't mean that the licensee or the, the licensor, rather. The license holder. Yeah, actually wants to renew the license for you. They can yeah. choose to deny it, which leads to a lot of weird implications. of For this, luckily enough, it's very short. It's very short-term stuff. Unless there's something in Metal Gear Solid 2 that I'm not remembering where this is a big part of the story. I know it's, 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 it's in a flash. Yeah. It's like a flash sequence. I don't know how much the games would actually be impacted if they had to be removed. Not much in 3 for certain. 2, though, I think I there's one scene I know for certain. There's like three hours in. Where it happens, if I'm if I'm remembering it correctly, and even then, it's like like I said, it's flashed up on the screen of stuff that's happened. Yeah, so. I mean, it's cool for adding a sense of like weighted realism to these games, even that, yeah, which is yeah. what they were going for. They, and that's absolutely what they were doing. Yeah, with it. Uh, but oh well. Next thing up, Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection has been rated for release in Australia, meaning that while no release date was given at initial announcement, the game is likely nearing completion. We were. Given an early 2022 window, back whenever this was originally revealed, and this being already put up for rate makes me think that this game may be closer to release for the PS5 version specifically um, than we had thought. But it kind of makes you wonder, are they trying to do the thing where they're holding off to release this alongside the movie, which makes a lot of sense, but you run into this problem of it being another February release, which February is already pretty packed. So, I don't know. I think... I don't know. It's kind of like Chris always talked about with this idea of uh, re-releasing The Last of Us. Uh, you know, when they're talking about this remake, re-releasing The Last of Us or remaking The Last of Us and trying to release it alongside or at least pretty close to the HBO series. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting idea. It can totally work, but it may not. That's kind of where you end up being. Chris, do you think that they should release a game or, or, from a <laughs> from a series alongside the movie from the same series or nah? Um, probably. I think it depends. Um, we're talking Uncharted, right? Yeah. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I always thought this was coming out in January. I thought they straight updated it when it for some reason when they announced it. So I was kind of surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, right now there's no real date, so uh, wait to see. I think January or March could work. January as like a preamble to the movie. March as a as an after release to where it's like, hey, you watch the movie. Maybe this is your first exposure to Uncharted. If you want to play the games here. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think this is just an interesting project. I, I think it'll be done by February. That makes the most sense. So I don't know if it has anything to do with the movie. Obviously, it has something to do with the movie, but I don't know if it has a ton to do with it, which actually, now that I'm thinking about it, right, it's interesting that they're doing, if this is related to the movie, it's interesting because 4 and Lost Legacy, I think it is, are mm-hmm. the only ones that have to do with Sam. And, and Sam very, is talked about in the movie. Yeah, I was going to say they specifically talk about Sam in the movie. So maybe that's why they're doing these right now and not the whole shebang. Well, and you know, I get this other thing, though, too, where I was actually talking about it. And I don't think uh, maybe it would work. Maybe I'm wrong. But 
say that they would have done what I suggested, right? Where they did a remaster of all the Uncharted games and called it the Master Thief Collection, which I still think <laughs> would be a great idea. Um, but I think doing that right now, uh, right around the movie, I think runs the risk of for people who go and watch the movie and have never experienced Uncharted and then go and play it. The problem with what I'm seeing in the movie, and maybe it's wrong, but the movie's trailer just looked like it was the greatest hits from every big scene from every Uncharted movie to the point where it's like, why would you even bother? Like you, you just witnessed it all. Like, yeah, there's great characters and stuff in there, but like, you know, part of what made those Uncharted games so loved during the PS3 era was like the, oh man, did you see the crazy shipwreck scene or the 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 train scene in Uncharted yeah. 2 or the the plane scene where he's coming out of the cargo plane in Uncharted 3 and it looks like they're just taking every part of every game and being like, all right, we're going to put him over a desert in a plane and we're going to put him in an island where you see what looks like One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship and that's from four and then we're also going to put him in the jungle from uncharted one they're going to put him in the chateau from uncharted three and two and it just gets to a point where i don't know where that how is that movie going to cover this much of the globe all at once are they trying to like loop it to where every single one of marco polo's stories or something was just like traced together or all of (laughs) sir francis drake's were just all tied together to where the end of it all i don't know the movie is, is genuinely just blows my mind. I don't know what they're doing with it. I don't know. I'm excited to see it, even if it's not good. Uh, I'm not excited to see it as much as I'm curious to see it. Well, sometime in February, you can look forward to hearing our thoughts on Midweek Matinee, our sister <laughs> podcast. All right, see, we got two things left over here. PS5 released exactly one year ago as of Friday, pushing it into its second year on the market. So uh, kind of a quick question. If you guys had to look at what the PS5 has done in its first year, if you had to kind of give it like a quick report, how well do you think PS5 is doing, all things considered, at the end of its first year? Chris, you go first. Uh, I think it's doing pretty well. Um I wish there were more PS5 games, but other than that, I think it's been doing pretty pretty a good job. It's been it's been a good launch so far. I've had a lot of fun with mine. Well, good good question for you is kind of the, the look at the future of the whole thing that they sold about loading games. Do you really feel like you've been missing the PS5's loading as you've been going back and playing these PS3 games? Yeah, it's noticeable. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's not it's not great. So if nothing else, it's at least sold you on a future that they've kept up with. All right, Saul, what do you think? About the same. Y'all know that I've never been one to care about numbers and sales and stuff like that. Yeah, and I do. I guess this is more like a personal report. Yeah. Like, right. Even if the PS5 had somehow sold only a million units, are you liking what it's bringing? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's doing really well because you can't buy them. And when they do it, the shelves are gone. And for me, uh, we'll get into it with the next little thing we'll go get into. But I have an interesting community's take that um, could be either a side community's take if the audience for it is not large enough. But I think the audience for ours is going to be kind of large enough. But yeah, I, I've been enjoying it so far. It's it's hard to believe there's been a year already. All right. Well, then nothing like this. Segue to the last piece. Yep. The Game Awards are back this year at, with host and planner Jeff one. Keeley. Where? The celebration of the year. I, I just did that. Uh, well, we I mean, I thought we were doing the one above that too. I'm confused, Saul. Did we did we skip the production cuts? Oh, you're right. We did. So, we, so yeah, we, I did. Sorry, my bad, guys. <laughs> so it's just going to be kind of what Saul was talking about. Whether hard to get, Sony reportedly reduced the production outlook for PS5 by one million units. Uh, 
for the time period through March of 2022. They originally targeted 16 million uh, units produced throughout this year period. And if I'm not mistaken, it was actually lower originally. Then they pumped it up, and now they're having to go back and cut it. Um, but basically, more shortages than originally anticipated has led them to adjust the number accordingly, down to about 15 million rather than 16. This, of course, means it'll be that much more difficult to get a PS5 through the holiday season, where it will not, where it will be a hot item and potentially even past the holidays, depending on just how much the shortage is hitting. You know, we've been talking about it being difficult to get a PS5, but I wonder if it's about to get more difficult as we're seeing so much supply chains in pretty much every industry. Chris, I don't know about you because I know you're still kind of working in food. Um, but like our industry that I work in in particular, and then the, the parent company of mine that is a different industry, seems like supply constraints are just hitting everybody super hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it might, it, it might genuinely get hard to get a PS5 in the coming months as opposed to what people have thought to be difficult. Um, yeah, it's I a problem know. in food too. Like, I've not figured able to get much. stuff. Yeah, which it's weird. At least in our area, whenever I do go out to eat, I haven't had any issues where they're like, we don't have this very often. I think Chipotle is the most common one. They're always out of queso. They're always like, yeah, we don't have queso. Cheese has been decimated by the... By the yeah. <laughs> Cheese production is gone. Uh, man, I would almost go into a famine if there was a world where like cheese was the only thing that got hit. <laughs> Coronavirus issues have led to cheese being <laughs> severely dropped in production. Pipeline is clogged up. <laughs> People are like going around selling little baby bell cheeses for like ridiculous <laughs> amounts of money. Hey, hey man, bro, I got it. I got that I got shit. Mots. Well, yeah, Holmes. <laughs> It's like one of those little oh, bags. They open up their trench coat and it's just a bunch of And cheeses. it's just a bunch of different cheeses hanging. Oh, how you doing? You? I got some Gouda. No, Gouda no, no, cheese. No. What, what are you buying? <laughs> <laughs> what are you melting? Oh, boy. Uh, there's people that are just getting off on someone like melting cheese over their food. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. So the last thing uh, that Saul was talking about is the Game Awards being back with Jeff Keighley suggesting 40 to 50 games will be shown in some capacity this time done on site instead of what they did last year with the online version of the event. So there will be people on site getting up there on stage doing their things. One of the things he said that kind of found interesting is that he wanted to focus on games more this year, which, God, I hope so, because I get so tired of just like, I'm trying to watch this for games and game awards, and yet you're giving the awards away during commercials, and yeah, right. but you're spending 20 minutes of me listening to some group that I don't care about. Uh, it Yay, just seems like he wasn't very focused on games. <laughs> Probably. Um, were but yeah, that's just kind of... Yeah, I know. So we get to that point where... Uh, He's talking about that, so maybe this will be more focused. But uh, of the 50, 40 to 50 games, he claims uh, completely new reveals are in the double digits. So we'll see what that exactly means. Could be anywhere from 10 <laughs> to, to 50, I guess. Unlikely to be 50. Uh, and he talks about next-gen games and how we're going to finally see that the best of the industry for this generation is yet to come. Um, big promises. Big promises. So, Saul, you clearly have some kind of a bone to pick with the Game Awards. Yeah, it's just bad. It's it's bad pacing. They're what five hours? It, I feel Six like every hours? year it gets longer. How long's the Grammys? How long's the Oscars? I don't know. One day. One, to be one day, shut up. I guess to be fair, right? Here's the thing: is that if the if the Oscars are long, um, which maybe they are, um, 
about three hours. Three hours, which is actually about where this is at. If if we're looking at the this, last this one was supposed to be hours, around. That, I don't know. No, was it? it was not. <laughs> don't be wrong. It felt way too long, it but did. I want to say it was like two and a half to three hours. That feels right. Let's see the Game Awards 2020. Yeah, runtime. No, I'm just gonna look up. It was three hours and 19 minutes. So it's a little too long, and it felt even longer because of all the advertisements that get crammed in, and the amount of content about games versus the amount of content about everything else is not equal. Like I said, it just feels weird. It feels like if you went into which it does happen, right? Though, because like the Oscars and all of those different awards still have musical acts, right? It's just one of those things. So I, I don't, I don't know because I don't watch those things. I don't know how long those breaks in are. <laughs> But it does feel weird to come into something and be like, we're going to talk about something completely non-movie related right now. Clearly it happens, but... Because you always have the, the age-old argument, right? That games use music, so having music being played isn't wrong. Which, you know, kind of like now we have this We Are OFK game coming, then OFK being their last year feels a lot more justified suddenly. And the year before when they did the Doom stuff, I was actually like, that's pretty cool. Having somebody play out the Doom... Um, soundtrack feels fitting in that it's like still entertainment but it's fitting to the game industry i think chris may have something uh chris look like you're holding something back here not really i just don't i, I know that I you don't, don't have as I sharp like an opinion on awards. the game awards i like, I mean, I like I them too i just, I just don't I feel like they're they're getting to a point where it's just the pacing is bad they're getting to the point where i almost treat it like nascar because like it's, I don't mind NASCAR. I grew up with a dad who loves watching it, but I would get to this point where I'd watch about five to seven laps, kind of get a feel on where everything's going. Then I'd be like, I can turn this off for a while and just come back, check in later yeah. and, and be fine. And but that's you, the only thing you have is that fear of missing out that you might actually look away or turn away when they're showing something cool. Yeah. I guess I just, I don't know. It, to me, like it's, I've never went into it as like, the game announcements awards, you know, and I feel like some people do not necessarily anyone on the show, but I just, I, that to me has always been like, yeah, this is totally fine. This is an award show that I care very little about. And occasionally there'll be a trailer. Like, I don't know, I guess. So to me, I just don't, it seems totally fine. It's exactly the utility. That, I need that may be. Right? Well, and that's kind of what I, why I mentioned a second ago, right? And then so I think I would cut you off, but, um, I think that's why I, I made it a point to mention a second ago that the show has consistently gotten further and further away. The first couple of years of the Game Awards were great because they actually did give the awards out. No no awards were given off screen, off stream during commercials or anything like that. And yet last year was a good example of it's three hours and 19 minutes. But you told me um, we don't have enough time to give all the awards. So some of them are going to be given away during the pre-show and yep. this thing. It's like, what do you mean? It's three hours and 20 minutes and you don't have enough time to give away 20 awards. As much as I love Jeff, and it, like the way he did, like, it's just, it's one of those weird things. That's like the pacing of this show, three hours for even, let's just say that is game reveals and game awards. That's too long for that. I would at least be okay with it if it was entire three hours and 20 minutes of game awards and then game reveals. I, I think what's I, I gotten think odd point, here there's too many awards is <laughs> or too Jeff, many reveals. I, I think Jeff's saying for, I think he knows, all right, that people are going to be more likely to tune into the game awards for the reveals. But this is a real fine. question for both of you because I don't know the answer. Do reward uh, award shows for like uh, movies and stuff like that and like those, do they show reveals for other things or is that exclusive to the game industry? I don't I think no that the idea. Oscars typically has like movie trailers in there. 
I feel like that's the case as well. So I feel like that's a little odd. But since well, we're doing that, fine. but they also have the cuts of commercials that the Game Awards doesn't have in the same way. So yes, they do. They, they have do in the not same have significant blocks of time. Like they have the they occasional do. cutoff, but they don't have no. like the Wendy's and McDonald's ads. Like like it's, the it's Oscars, not, too. big corporations like that. But there's still a part where Jeff Keighley's like, "We'll be right back with this next part," and then it cuts off to something completely unrelated. Yeah, but it's not that five is, ten minutes of it like in a TV yes, it show is. On it's cable. totally the same thing. Well, and it and depends not on five the year, to 10 right? Minutes of commercials. It, on it, the it depends on the year, and I think that there's a point where sometimes they try to work better because like, I think where where the game awards excelled at trying to get advertisements so that it can happen because I understand that the reality is for it to happen yeah. there needs to be money involved into it. Uh, do y'all remember the year that they had the the shit? guy and they had the commercial that they made specifically for it where it was like the Schick Razor in Mortal Kombat playing and fighting and they did spend a considerable amount of time going back to the Schick guy and that's fine I didn't mind it he was there was like a Schick mascot that was running around yeah. and the camera would occasionally go to him and spend like time following him kind of thing um, and then they had that commercial where he's in the fighting games and I think that that's a little bit better it kind of goes like what I was talking about where for some reason regardless of what, whether it's reasonable, it does feel easier to want to swallow like, oh, okay, we're going to spend 10 minutes listening to the Doom soundtrack being played with Matt Halper and actually being on the drums, which is pretty sweet, versus... Imagine what, Dragons. Well, not, yeah, whatever it be. I think there was Imagine Dragons one year or whatever, and it's just like, okay, so one is just contemporary songs that are being played as a means of a break, uh, and then one is specifically tied to games and it feels like one has more of an effort to be tied toward that so to that degree it does feel like if a show is full of that it still feels more game oriented than otherwise well my issue is is like it's exactly what you know chris was saying in a way like the oscars is 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 awful to watch because like they do the thing of like here here are the the oscar for the best horror movie when we come back and then there's a break and then then you come back and then there's a little bit of like joke time or like, like a little pre-roll bit banter pre-roll banter and then they finally get to it and then when that's over they're like and then next and here in a second we'll come back to this or sometimes they'll do two or three in a row it's the game awards is the same thing the problem is this is not cable tv this is not this does not have to be interrupted by breaks like that it does not have to be the pacing could be better and i think it's got to the point now where it is so big that he does require like this advertisers to have to have this and that's my problem with it the advertisers, it's gotten so big that the advertisers cause the pacing of the show to just slow down to a halt. Well, yeah, but it's you weird wouldn't get I, this without the advertisers at all. They we have gotten this before the advertisers. No, they, we this, got this it is, on Spike TV. Spike was no, paying for it. No, two years ago when they were Spike was paying for it when it was the original Game Awards. Well, yeah, but like think about when God of War was revealed. Yeah. Or, or that whole, the whole point with that. That was back. Uh, that was E3 that when it was actually revealed. But think of like what was it when it was at the Game Awards? The gameplay of God there of War wasn't no, anything, right? Specifically for God of War, it was gameplay at E3 the same year it was shown. But yeah. I, look, I think I, I think I know the best way to kind of explain what you're talking about is that I think every year it feels like the show has gotten longer, but not necessarily the because contents. they're doing more awards yeah. or even more reveals. It's just longer it's now you know three hours this year versus let's see what it was last year so he's saying like even though there was because you're right chris there has to be advertisers right ever since he started this on his own there's been advertisement yeah uh, but the shit award the shit guy is kind of a good example of he was there and it was there but it didn't seem like it was too pervasive in the show like it was kind of man like i remember every time it came on i'm like okay whatever i'm gonna go screw around for a second while they're showing this because i i have that prerogative um 
It just it, it does feel like it's it's longer. But I think the interesting thing here is to look at Jeff Keighley doing kind of what he's wanting to do with Summer Game Fest, which I feel like is more of what the Game Awards is trying to do. But I feel like the Game Awards name is really odd because it makes you think that you're supposed to be watching for awards and then you spend over half the time doing anything but awards. Well, Whereas I think Summer Game Fest ends up working well and feeling paced well because of the fact that it's about just being reveals and it's about spending time doing that. So even when um, Ke- uh, even when Jeff would do these things of where he would stop the show to like show the video of him in his room talking like uh, either to the camera, uh, setting up for the next thing that was going to be shown or doing an interview with somebody, it felt more fitting to the time uh, and the place and considering the name and what the event was aiming to be than something like a name of the Game Awards would lead you to believe. I think that's where it kind of comes down to me. And see, this is this is what I was talking about. It was twenty eighteen where it did have God of War and Mortal Kombat eleven. That was four hours long. That didn't feel like four hours back then because the pacing was done so well. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Game Awards are going to be better this year than last year because of the fact it's on site. I think part of what slowed it down last year is it being a an you know an internet like online version of it, but maybe not. I'm willing to give it a try. It's just it's kind of the point where kind of like Chris, I go in with low expectations and just let it do what it can. I'll watch it. It's just I, I may watch it while doing something else, which is probably the best way for anybody to take this. <laughs> yeah, that's Plat- a- platinum grind while you do it. You know what I mean? Have one screen yeah. with that on, and then do three hundred quest in Diablo three or whatever the the thing is. I can't remember the actual thing. It's terrible though. Uh, so something that's kind of been brought back around um, into the thing as we kind of move into what we're going to do for the main topic. Um, it's kind of gotten brought back around because of once again Elden Ring and the idea of difficulty in games, uh, and then difficulty in games being s- continued to scooch into the idea of accessibility in games. Because if a game is difficult, apparently it's inherently non accessible. Um, so that's kind of something that I know we've talked about before, Saul and I, but I don't think we've done so with Chris. And I think that there's. I think that there's a different conversation I want to have around it to a degree. I do kind of want to talk about how you feel about accessibility in games and if you actually do feel like from software is failing if that or if they even should have to worry about that. But I also want to have the conversation about games being first and foremost art. Most of the time, there are games that I think are far more product oriented, but more often than not, definitely in the case of From Software, the games are somebody's art and then it's secondarily a product. And while I think that you might be able to say that a product's goal is to get into as many hands as possible, therefore it should try and be made in such a way that it can do that. I think that art directly conflicts with that because I am of the viewpoint that art and the artist behind the art should be able to be selfish. I think if I want to write a song for myself first and foremost, I should be able to do that. And then anyone who, if I decide to release it, anyone who likes it because of the song that I wrote for myself and my own taste and my own interest and all that, if they end up liking it, then that's great. But I don't think that you should necessarily go into being like, I'm going to create this art with someone else in mind every single time. Now there is times where art is made with someone in mind, but this points to something that, uh, Denis said for Dune. I don't know if you guys saw the interview that he did, but he was breaking down the scene with the Bene Gesserit, uh, with the, with the, the trial. And he was talking about the, the scene, and he stops for a second goes, I was making this movie with one audience member in mind. Then he stops, looks up at the camera, and goes, myself. <laughs> and 
I was like, yeah, that's exactly when you're creating art. I don't think that you oftentimes, or at least I know for myself, when I'm writing, I'm not thinking what it's sometimes there because if you know you're going to put it out, there's a vulnerability there. But for the most part, my decisions aren't made by what is someone else going to think about this? It's more of what do I think about this in the moment? And I think what Denise was trying to say, like I'm my biggest critic. I'm trying to make what I want out of this. I want to, I want to make myself happy. And then if I make myself happy and I keep it true to me, even if it's not for everyone, there will be a group of people that it, that it rings true with. Especially when it's your own interpretation of a book. Yeah. Something like that too, where it's a, where it's a non-original creation. Yeah. Even being. Um, so that's kind of where I'm positing this in the beginning is that I don't think that I think accessibility is a great thing. And when people want to design a game with accessibility in mind and make it as reasonable for every person that they want to play it, that's a great thing. And I don't think that anything should ever stop that. But I think on the same page and part of the same book, the exact opposite should always be able to be true. I think that you should be able to make something with the idea that you, you're making it for the way you want to make it. And if you don't account for another group of people, that's not yourself, then that you shouldn't be thrown down on for it. That's kind of where I stand on it. Chris, I know that you have some choice thoughts. We kind of very lightly talked about this. So I kind of looking at both, I think, what is your, what is your thoughts about difficulty in gaming how difficulty in gaming may or may not be tied to any form of accessibility. And then lastly, where do you stand on art in terms of should it be able to be selfish or not? Well, I guess in terms of accessibility, um, I didn't necessarily want to have this conversation because I hate this conversation because accessibility doesn't mean anything. Um, You know, People, Do you want to uh, expound on that? Yeah. It, well, people, first off, it, inherently the argument sucks when you're talking about FromSoft games because FromSoft games have difficulty levels. Just because you choose not to explore the mechanics enough to find out that if you play with magic, you don't have to play the game very hard. You know what I mean? Like, There's ways to make Dark Souls and Bloodborne easy. Like, Overlevel yourself. Practice get a co-op partner in, run magic. Like the, these games have easy modes to begin with. Second of all, I think the thing is like not every game has to be a game that you play. And yeah. just because you like something that looks cool doesn't mean you have to play it. I think what I said to you, cause I, I tweeted this out. I was just like, I don't like platformers. So in order to make crash four more accessible to me, I need you to put an FPS in it, please. You know, like, that's not, you don't get to change, games don't change because somebody on the periphery might not be able to play it or it might be too hard for some, I don't know, Kotaku writer to get through uh, a boss in a Demon Souls game. Like, that doesn't, there's no reason to, to look at this and be like, oh, this guy over here can't play Dark Souls, so we have to change the whole thing. You know, I don't care if, if, from software and Elden Ring has an easy mode toggle in the beginning. That doesn't affect me, but I also think the argument's really stupid that it should. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. Some people look at the idea and kind of posit this thing of if the game has an easy mode, you're not forced to use it. Right. Uh, I think that the exact opposite. I When people bring that up, right, I, I go, okay. So when a game doesn't have an easy mode or doesn't have a difficulty setting, you're not forced to play it. Right. 
Because it, it's the exact other side of the coin. Yes, you, if I play a game and it has an easy mode, I do not have to choose to play that easy mode. I play however right. I choose to do so. Just like you can choose whether to play this game or not if you don't feel that it matches into what you want. And sometimes games do that. I mean, that's that's. So, I, I, I don't care either. If a game gives the option, yeah. if Elden Ring does give the option, as long as that's what Miyazaki wanted to do, even if he changed the fact that he wanted to do it because he saw a lot of people being like, I really wish I could play your games. And he was like, I really want to make a game that I can get so many people behind so they can see what I see here. And being less or more difficult is not going to change what I view as the important part of this piece. Mm. Then he can do so. But at the same time, if as a creator, he's looking at it and saying, the difficulty as you want to call it in a souls game, which I actually would argue that every souls game, I said this other day to big Seth, the souls games are not hard. No, they force you to practice and learn. That's all it is. The moment you learn how to position yourself favorably, uh, or like you said, learn how to just abuse the systems that are already there. uh, You can fly through it Uh, to the point. A good example is you can run by enemies in every single one of these games. You can get completely through a section without fighting anything but Mm -hmm. the bosses. Well, the thing I really don't get about from software games. And before I say this, you two, I don't want to hear it. The audience don't write in. I don't want to hear it. But I don't think I don't think I think the only reason to play these games is to beat the bosses, the difficulty they are. I don't think the gameplay is fun. I don't think the worlds are fun. Again, don't want to hear it. That's my personal opinion. That's why I don't play them. The only reason you buy all of them (laughs) and they're not good. I have fun with zero of them because but I think the only the only point of satisfaction I've ever gotten from those games was getting through a boss. So because of how difficult it was and how much I had to work to do it. The cleric beast was the first like boss in one of these types of games I ever beat. That was like a transformative experience for me. What's the point of it? Of I don't understand the point of these games without that difficulty. I really don't. I mean, yeah. Well, you I, told me not to chime in, so I'm not going to chime in. Yeah. I don't want to hear you yeah. argue how much how good they are, but I don't, you know, because well, I get it. Basis, I'm I'm in a well, look, if, if we tighten the conversation specifically down to what you're talking about, that's right. the thing that some people have an issue with is that I agree that the games are made in such a way to where when you overcome it, you know that every other person that overcame that, it, it kind of reminds me of your near Automata Platinum argument, right? When you pop the Platinum in a game that doesn't allow you to buy trophies, super mm-hmm. late game, then you know that everyone else who Platinum that game more or less played that game and grueled through everything that you had to go through to get that platinum. And the same thing kind of happens there. When you get, when you beat cleric beast after working hard to finally work up how to actually get it done. And then you do it, you know that you, as well as anyone else who's ever beat that all played on the exact same difficulty with the exact same challenges Mm -hmm. to overcome. And you both, and everyone did it. And and it's, it's, it's interesting that that game is all about, Equality. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird, but that game is about having this idea of you have a single playing field. There is no advantages or disadvantages realistically in the way I view these games. I think that they're very much set up to where everyone is playing on the exact same field. And it's just about how much you're willing to give to overcome the challenges of the game. And then when you do get it, it's a, it's like you said, it's a transformative experience. The first time I beat uh, Phalanx and Demon Souls back on PS3, I couldn't believe it. I felt like I had just done drugs for the first time. And I've never done drugs, mm-hmm. so I don't actually know what it feels like. But I felt like I was high off yeah. of you know endorphins, dopamine, whatever you want to call it. So, so to that degree, do you have anything you want to add? Well, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say like, 
you said you had a hard time seeing what people like other than the bosses. And I'm saying, and my only argument is that for me, the lore, the stories that they tell is, is some of the best high fantasy stories to me. And not only that, but there is a magical moment whenever Bloodborne came out and me and Brent were discussing the story and like the fact that it's not the Souls games don't make it clear without having to dig deep in the game to find that story and how much fun it was to sit there and theorize about what the story was and figure and you know us trying to figure it out together. On top of that, plus just the design of the games and how that they work, like how much they are a very they very much are a three D Castlevania. That's just my argument on that part. Yeah, my point was more that I don't like these games. So, like, I get that there's aspects to them, but to me, the only thing that I've ever connected with was the feeling of beating a boss. That was more why I went on that fucking rant. But, excuse me. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, because you're, you're right. I know other people that talk about they're like, I don't even care about like they don't think that the games are actively bad or anything like that. But I've seen other people be like, I don't care about the lore. I don't really care about the story. I just want to get to that next boss. Push my way through being able to finally beat yeah. it and then beat it. And that's it. I know people that the end game, the end goal of that game is is really just, or any of those games is just, I beat the final boss. I beat every boss in that game. I did it. I did right. it. You know? Exactly. Cause that to me more than anything else is my point. Is it's like why if that I think we can all agree that beating a boss is a big drive in those games and why yeah. you'd want to do that easier. Because going back to what you were saying about everyone being on the same playing field, I'll always say that I got the Watchdogs one platinum before they patched the difficulty on the, the mini games. And that to that to me is like a big point of pride that I have that if you, you can go check if you really want to. So I get, I get the whole equal playing field thing. It's like, oh, if like if Spec Ops, if they decided tomorrow to make that difficulty easier so that five percent <laughs> more people could get the platinum, I'd be so pissed off, you know, because it's such yeah. a challenge that I overcame. It's that same thing. It's like, which that's a good example, right? So if games are supposed to be, which I mean, and that goes down some because some people think like, well, it shouldn't matter. It's about just being able to play the game, but accessibility can come into anything. Accessibility can be pushed all the way to the degree of, um, well, okay. For most people, the trophy list is not accessible because it requires you to beat the game on hardcore difficulty. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an optional thing. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, I, 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 does everyone have to be able to do everything? Does everyone have to be able to buy a Lamborghini? I can't afford a Lamborghini. <laughs> that's not a very accessible car. But What, what kind of car? Huh? Mm-mm. I, feel, I feel a joke coming. No, it's just that you're saying it really weird to me. What Lambo, Lamborghini, Lamborghini? I've I've never heard of Lamborghini. <laughs> Am I wrong, Chris? No. How do you say wrong? Not Lamborghini. Lamborghini? Lamborghini. Okay, fine. Sorry. Well, you just said Guinea, and I'm like, I, I, I was like, did he misspeak? That's how I've always said it. Oh, so. uh, Lamborghini. <laughs> that okay. I don't feel like I'm that far off. You're not that far off. You're not that far off. It's just one of those things of like somebody said something differently, and I'm like, fine. That's I will. Intriguing. I will only call it Lambo from here on. I out. mean, that's fine. You can do what you want, but you it's pronounce it right. You get <laughs> incensed about your wrong pronunciation. That's all. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm just. I'm just. I'm more so. I'm not even. I'm not even mad about the pronunciation. I'm just like that's an interesting way. To me, it's more about <laughs> like it's more not always about how conspiracy theories are. Like a thing, it's just more of like, how was this thought into an existence? Right in this week about the my pronunciation of the word Lamborghini. Apparently, why would you? Want that, that feels like I'm putting way too much work <laughs> Lamb- into it. Lamborghini, yeah, Lamborghini. Yes, I don't know, man. It's interesting. 
It's like I used to call Suis uh Suicune. Yeah. Sweet what? <laughs> Suicune is a Pokemon. It's like what a Pokemon it? from Gen. You're like, oh, I want this to sound like my windshield wipers, so that's how you pronounced it. <laughs> <Sweet Swin. laughs> I mean, Raiko. What? How did how did Raikou? you used to say it? Okay, Raikou? so Raikou, right, right, Raiku is the, like the. Is, yeah, is, I've always is, said Raiku. Raiku, Raikou. Raikou or Raikou? Wait, now, now this is getting too much. <laughs> Where are you getting Raikou from? Well, look, this no, is no, like the, that's what he said. Raikou. This is like the problem between it's, Titus and, I said and Ray, Titus. Raikou. But you know, Suicide. I when the first time you ever told me that, I laughed because I completely see how you get. Yeah, because it's spelled like it's Suicune. Really doesn't S U I C I N E Suicune Suicune or Suicune. Actually, is what I called it. Suicune. Seth called it Suicune. Uh, I don't know, man. Pronunciation is a is a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, Good lord. So, Anyways. going back to this, Chris, I guess the only thing that you haven't really touched on, uh, yeah, is, is the idea, and I guess all of this is encapsulated in the fact that, like I said, I think that that's why I want to start the conversation with it being understood, or at least at least for the way that I'm speaking it is that this is art, and then art has all other things. And I think that most of your arguments have leaned toward that, right? Someone had the idea to make Crash Bandicoot 4, and that was their version of what they wanted to do. Yeah. And were they selfish? Yeah, for, I guess you could argue that, right? Were they, were they selfish for not thinking about all the first-person shooter fans that may not like this? Arguably, no. I guess you could say that, but it doesn't matter. It, it, the selfishness doesn't matter, but is it less accessible? But if you're kind of looking at it all through that angle, I guess, do where's your viewpoint on an artist's ability to be selfish when the product, when the final ver- the final version of this art is going to be made a commodity. Well, I think the only thing that an artist can be is selfish. That's the only thing he ever agreed because read. If you look at even now, if you look at the discourse now, it's dishonest discourse to begin with, because let's take, for example, a book I've read. I don't think it's as great as everyone else does, but you have that book Lolita. I don't know if you ever heard of it. The basically the main character is a pedophile, and it's literally entirely about his relationship with a child. And now, if you look at the conversation, I would not Google that word. I mean, you can it's, with, without putting it's the, the book title in. of a famous book um, and movie. But the whole the whole thing is like about his relationship. And now, if you look at the Discord, it's an inappropriate book about an inappropriate relationship. But the whole point of the book is how much of a piece of garbage this guy is and it's showing you yeah. like his perspective on him thinking that he's not, you know? So I think the thing with the way people talk about stuff now is it's never honest. It's always a base level thing. Like if I put into my book, I have this character I want to write, but I almost am scared to because she's just uses her. She's the whole point of her is She's a sex object and that's what she likes. That's how she gets what she needs to get done done. But I feel like right now it's so hard to write these kind of things because people don't look at it through the whole thing. You write one, you know, section where she's using her body for this stuff and she's, you know, something just for the male gaze or blah, 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 blah. So I think there's absolutely no situation where an artist needs to care at all about their audience. I think for certain things, and I can't believe I've kind of turned the corner on this, but if you want to put like blanket triggers at the beginning of your stuff, like, Hey, there's this, this, there's violence or there's stuff that you might not want to see maybe don't pick this up but i think as far as anything else the artist just needs to do what they want to do you know it's there's nothing more than that so if an artist wants the story to be hard the game to be hard 
the artist wants the game to be hard, that's what it is. And I don't, you don't get to tell me to put an option in my thing to make it easier for someone else. If somebody wants to make a sex object in their story, fine. Hopefully there's a good reason for it. Otherwise, it's still maybe a little inappropriate because I think there's a... Well, then it's, then it's up for... There's it, it, it's the same too. thing where it's... it's Yeah, that's that's true. But I think at that point, even if it's done poorly and you've not met the burden as a writer of making an interesting character that uses a... Um, controversial standpoint then you it's, it's up for criticism doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to release it and put it mm-hmm. out however you see fit but then it's also open to which i guess you can make that argument here right if, if well, we just want to look at the hair argument of or the you know the, the base level argument of should people be able to complain uh, and say ideally hey i feel like these games should have that yeah but i think what the what's the end goal of that conversation if the end goal of that conversation is that you think every game should bow or every piece of art should bow to your whim uh, i think that's where it gets weird you have every right in the world to just come out and say hey i don't find this game to be accessible enough or i find it to be too difficult or i find it to have this you know sex object written character that they didn't do enough work with to make it an interesting character so that it actually earned its position in the story you know yeah. well it's just now nowadays that everything is looked at, at its face i mean how we even had that story where a bunch of ex Blizzard guys got together and, and opened a studio, and everyone's upset because there's no women at the studio. And it's like, okay, yeah. but a, a guy got together with his friends and opened a game studio. I'll tell you right now, sadly, maybe that says something about the, you know, my friend group. If I opened a studio and just invited my friends, there would also be no women in it, you know? <laughs> so that's just the way it is. Some people, you know, not everything has to be looked at as like, Oh well, this is what it's outwardly representing, so I hate it and I need to fix it. I think that's a problem in the industry in general, and it's not necessarily just a an accessibility thing, but it's just everything. You know, look, yeah. Project Eve, the character's hottest. The character's hot. Why? You know, who cares why? I I want to play the game because the character's hot. That's the only thing interesting about Project Eve right now. But maybe there's a reason. <laughs> Like like in like in like in uh, Metal Gear Five, right? Quiet's whole thing. There's a reason why she's dressed the way she is. <laughs> it's maybe not be a good reason, but it's a reason. You know what I mean? So, you know, stuff. We until people stop looking at the base of everything, then these conversations are always going to be dumb, and they're never well, going to change. And I'll say, I think I told you, and I'm not put, I'm not putting any names or anything out there because I don't think he came at this from any kind of bad faith. I just completely disagree with this assertion. So part of this, me wanting to even talk about this, came from um, something on an online forum of sorts where someone was talking about um, accessibility in games and all of those things. And then they said that if someone doesn't want to, basically if someone doesn't want their game to be accessible, then they should look at why they're making, like they should reassess why they're making games. And yeah. I think that that's such a weird standpoint. I don't think any artist should have to rethink of why they're doing the art they do. They're mm-hmm. doing it for themselves. I mean, I don't think anybody goes to work every day making games because they don't want to. You make, you go and make games because that's what you want to do. And I think gaming being such a, large group effort of people working together has a really interesting and high chance of accessibility coming into play and working because you can have 40 people and two of them go, wouldn't it be really cool if we kind of did this so that more people could play this game? And as long as everyone agrees and doesn't care, then that's fine. But I don't think it's wrong that someone goes, my particularly my particular view of this game and this thing I'm creating is that I don't want that. I mean, it, it's a group project. He should be able to be overruled if the majority want yeah. it. But you know, let's say it's a, it's a, a good example of Stardew Valley. 
It's a single guy making a single game from the selfish fact that he didn't feel like any games coming out were doing a good job at kind of replicating, replicating what he liked from Harvest Moon. And then he just went further of adding the things he always wished Harvest Moon would have put in. And yeah. then what happens? That game comes out and sells gangbusters because other people happen to be in the same boat of thinking, I really miss how Harvest Moon used to be. And well, that's it, where you reach this point. And is it wrong for him? Like, if he didn't put something in the game as an individual, is it wrong because he didn't account for every single person that may want to, may look no. at that game and go, is it possible for me to play that? You know, I don't think so. I mean, he, he made it for himself, and then he just let other people in on this thing he made for himself. Well, it's one of those things, like, even, let's get even more nebulous about it, even if we're looking at a trophy list, right? Where I think it's Fight Night Round 4, which is not a, a PlayStation game, so it would be an achievement. But they have an achievement for being the best in the world, literally in the world, and getting a title belt from the person who has the title belt, right? So you need to be the best player in that weight class on the platform. Now, that is an inaccessible trophy. And me and you on its face would say that's insane. It shouldn't be in the game. But who's to say there's not one guy in that boardroom who's like, I have a proposal. There's six people total who can ever get this achievement. That to me, like that sucks as like a trophy hunter. I'm like, I don't like that. But like as a person, I'm like, if I had one of those six, that'd be pretty freaking cool, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So Uh, it's just a matter of like, doesn't need to be accessible to you. It's something that like maybe the like I said, the dev was just like. I want so few people to have this, or I want my trophy list to be an ultra rare platinum that very little people have. So I'm going to make some ridiculous crap in this game just so that I can say that. And that's a valid way to make a list. And that's a valid way to make a game. All right. Well, I saw, I'm going to, I'm going to take it over to you, man. Kind of on all these things, kind of just give you a quick refresh of, uh, you know, how do you feel about difficulty in games? If difficulty is, inherently tied to accessibility or whether those can be separate from each other or should be separate from each other to a degree. And then do you think artists should be able to be selfish if they see fit? Well, I mean, we'll just start off with the core of it, which is artists being selfish because at the end of the day, if an artist gets their way, that's all that matters. Um, if the artist gets to create what they want to produce, that's what matters. Um, and that could be anything. However, I don't think that there should ever be a, a petition, a, a anything in the world, a rally, anything that should try to change somebody else's viewpoint um, or their artwork. I mean, I said viewpoint, but I meant their artwork. Um, unless there's something inherently flawed with it on a fundamental society level or something that is... Um, something that is just incorrect information that is trying to be perceived as correct information. Okay. I think if, uh, as long as it's subjective, okay, then yeah. I think that there shouldn't be a thing. Like people with Nintendo, I said this last time, that you shouldn't petition for a female Link if they don't want to make a female Link-based game. Or you should petition for a Zelda-based game where you actually play as Zelda. Because the issue is, is that maybe they didn't want like there shouldn't. Why, why, why would you change a character's gender based around what people wanted and not what you wanted? You wouldn't. You would simply create a new character, or you would find a way to make that work, not based off of them, based off of what you wanted. Yeah, sure. And that's my same take as last time. 
Well, Not a good saying. example, right, is if someone came to Nintendo, uh, somebody who was very passionate about Zelda, and they said, listen, this is my spiel for a female-led thing. We're going to we're gonna go into lore about why we're changing Link from the, from the hero he's always been. And instead, we're going to gender bend, and there's going to be uh, something that comes from that. And this is my entire spiel around it. And Nintendo goes, cool. But it's, I guess the difference here, right, is if – and that's where it comes into – is are you petitioning for someone to change Link in a game they're already working on to be female, or are you positioning? Are you petitioning for someone to just go to someone and be like, even if you don't want to, I don't make this. I think it's kind of like I don't I, think somebody could pet- should petition for characters to be changed that are already established characters to begin with. Yeah, I mean, again, if they want it, whoever owns that character can do what they please. Yeah, with it. and exactly, and like that's that's the thing that like is if 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 you made a book. And you were really proud of this book, and then somebody came to you and said, "I don't like the fact that that's a that's a female. I'm a guy. I don't want to read that book uh, and have a female man character. That needs to be a male character. You should change it. Absolutely not. Get wasted. Get away from me." So you're actually getting into what one of my responses was to this when someone was like, "I don't feel like accessibility and um, and game pl- games should be mutually exclusive." And I, I'm not saying that. I don't think that that's what I'm getting at. I think where my thing is here is that I don't want a world in which we are dealing with compelled action, which is kind of what you're talking about, right? If that's why I bring up if Elden Ring right now, if Elden Ring from the beginning of it all had Miyazaki be like, I want to make this game have difficulty modes and all these different things so that more people can play it. Then that's great because he came to that conclusion, even if it was through extra information given to him from other people or for considering the feelings of others. But there's a difference between someone being like, that's just not the game I'm making and then making them go and change it anyway. That's a compelled action. And that's the thing I am against. I don't think that at any point in time, should an artist be told that they have to do this or they should. Uh, I I get that they should from like a, like on small changes, like, you know, you should make this character die in this chapter instead kind of thing. And then explain why don't just say like, because it's, because it's this or because it's that but say like why does that fit the writing why does that make the writing better because everybody's gonna have a a, a subjective opinion on stuff that's a thing and then so when you create art people are going to use their subjective opinion to view it and they're going to give their subjective opinion to criticize it which are all valid which are yeah or at least valid from the standpoint that they have an opinion that's they're just they have just as much a right to as anyone else exactly yeah um and your opinion could be that, like, you know, you can say that Link should be a female in the next game. And my opinion of that is that, no, um, if you want a female Link, that's perfectly good and well, but there should be a female Zelda. Like, if, if anything, I think it's the smart ways to make uh, the main character Zelda instead. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, that's my opinion on their opinion, which in, in turn doesn't mean anything to anybody except that conversation. Um, now, well, uh, going back to like Elden Ring, like let's say Miyazaki wanted this to be his magnum opus. This is his last game he's making, um, and he wanted to add an easy mode in there. That's fine. Like if that's what he wanted to do. If 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 you know a game, if the next James Bond game came out and it was like one shot, one kill, and it was the hardest game in the world, and it wasn't fun, that's fine. It's not for me at that point. Um, it's not like fun, but that, if that's what they wanted to do. You know, that's something that I think that is the most consistent thing about me is I, I and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I've never said they should do this instead, right? For most things, I've said I've liked better, I've liked things better when it didn't, when they weren't this way. Bring Me the Horizon is a great example. I don't listen to them much now because I'm just not a fan of what they do, but I've never once said they should go back to old music because that's not what they want to do. You know, I've, what's really interesting is that Doki Doki Literature Club has uh, the, 
the, the plus has gotten new side stories that you can play. Yeah. And one of the things that's in there is uh, Monica, the main character, doing um, the setup of talking to people about language. And I think that's kind of like Chris talked about. I don't even know if that people are, are in bad faith starting from a false premise or so much that lang- we're so used to a certain type of language that we use it because we're kind of doing so here. And I'm trying my best to be mindful of it. But you, we say things in, in, in something that feels so objective, but when we're saying it, we are aware that within ourselves, we mean it subjectively. When we say this game is bad, like, no, like a good example is like if Chris goes, um, if, if Chris says uh, Dark Souls games are bad, he's right. not, he's not honestly saying that they're bad games. He's <laughs> saying that he himself views them as bad games and whether anyone else agrees to it with him is up to them. I yeah. mean, realistically, Chris, would you say that's really what you're doing? You're saying they're a bad game, but you're not saying that they're a bad game to every single person that plays it. You're saying you think it's a bad game. No, if I if you don't whenever, like it, to do whenever I use a blanket statement, it's because that's what I think. And if you take it as me saying it's a blanket fact they're that Dark game. Souls sucks, then that's on you. Yeah. It's not on me. Right. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is that language and definitely the language that we tend to use be it maybe because of social media, maybe because of just societal standards of getting used to these things. What we're all doing is talking about opinions and opinions are fine. And yeah. if your opinion is there should be a Zelda game that has Link be a female, that's a fine opinion. But technically that wording is, is the, uh, they need, you know, they need, you say it this way, right? You could have someone say they need to make Link a female in the next game. Yeah. That sounds a lot like compelled action, even though what the person really probably most likely means. Like that's, and that's what they want. So if you take them in good faith is that they're saying that in a very different way, they're basically saying, I would like Zelda so much more if they did this instead. Well, that and, would be the thing that would make me happy and make me feel like this is so great. And we, we actually talked about this like six or seven weeks ago um, on, on a podcast of like the way opinions are said so there are too many people nowadays that that you could say like like chris dark soul sucks and then there are people that are going to legitimately get mad about that and it's like you can't that's his opinion you could disagree with them all day long that's fine but once again it boils down to being an opinion now not to stray too far off if miyazaki wanted to make it easier or add an easy mode that doesn't mean that it's any less of a game just like dark souls being hard doesn't mean it's any worse of a game um, or any more of a game for people. Yeah. That, I mean, it may be the reason that you like it more, but it's not more for every single person. Well, yeah. And that's like, you know, I do disagree with what Chris said a little bit of like, there are ways you can abuse the games to make them easier. I think that in order to abuse them in any capacity, you already have to crack the secret code of the game and get to the point of where you can abuse them to already, you're already at that a proficient enough level if you can abuse them to beat the game. You're just abusing them to make them easier without realizing. Oh, I'm already good enough to be able to do this. I don't have to abuse them. Yeah, but if I because went to someone and I was like, "Oh, you've never played Dark Souls and you think this is too hard? Just do magic." They don't need to know much. They need to just stand across the map and use the, the magic. The problem with that, well, the problem with that is is like in Dark Souls 3, magic is two different stats you have to level on top of vigor, endurance, and attunement. So you have vigor, endurance, attunement, vit um intelligence and faith you have five stats you that have to could change the way that you no no you them. have yeah. to level them yeah, for sure. magic to be good but if you have a strength build you just need strength whatever dexterity a little bit of dexterity to wield a certain and you weapon. might need vitality and, if you get hit a bunch well vitality and endurance 
and that's 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 technically three. Yeah. So like you do like to be to be good and to be proficient, you do have to add those into extra stats. But at that point, to even level up enough to make your character abusive, you have to be good enough to level up. Well, because like a good ex- a good example of this is what we watched the other day before we were doing Yu Gi Oh night. Uh, we watched uh, video game Dunky or whatever his name is. Um, do demon souls and he was he did this thing where at one point in time when the oh, game first yeah. came out there was this lucky coin that you could basically it, it was just like a what yeah, do you call that you, an, an exploit within you, the game if you pop a luck coin or gold coin in the game at launch uh like within like the first three days of it launching and you did it in uh in front of the maiden in the nexus you your luck stat would go up to millions and then there's a weapon called the Blue Blood Sword, which scales off like luck stat. So you would literally just one shot enemies. But the thing there is, just because you can one shot enemies, the moment you get hit, you're suscept- you're as susceptible as everything else. Yeah. So it's interesting. You found a way to basically exploit the game and break the game to make it very easy for you in terms of the damage that you output. But you still take the same damage if you don't work on making sure you don't get hit, or if you don't level up more to make sure that your vitality can withstand that. How often you do get hit? Well, that's the thing. It's like I can yeah. tell you right now, like like awesome data is Dave is also going for the platinum in this game and like let's say if he hadn't played it before and he came to me and it's like what do i do to make this game easy like what's a good build and i'll tell him like grab a great sword throw your strength up to like 80 grab a great sword have like 30 32 vitality is pretty much the cap there for me in my opinion and like 40 uh endurance and have 80 strengths yeah and you will wreck the game. You have to get those stats there first <laughs> like, feel, like, well, so once once you have the like i'm gonna, I'm gonna let you answer the rest of the question as you see fit. Yeah. But once you feel like you've done it, I want to add one final layer to this that I think is interesting that someone brought up in a, in a similar thread. Uh, well, yeah. So whenever well, you're ready. The, the, the ending thought to me, though, is that, uh, to be fair, I don't think that there is anything that's hiding accessibility behind difficulty. I think that as long as you have the willpower to sit down and play a game, any game at all, then you have the power to beat it. Now, if there is something that is stopping you from that, whether it is a physical disability or something, that should never be pointed at the um, developers. This is the same exact statement I said last time. If you do have colorblind issues, or if you do have something like a vision issues of some kind, that shouldn't you shouldn't yell at Naughty Dog because they didn't include that in their game. If anything, if you're going to point a finger, you need to point it to Sony about that not being a system-level option. That's an interesting thing because I actually brought that up too. I think when in in my discussion with the guy about art being secondarily, uh, it's art and then it's a product. Yeah, and that sometimes those things don't mesh. I think the difference is is that the console is just a product. Yeah, you don't look at the PlayStation Five and go the PlayStation Five is art. There's aspects of it like the design was art for someone. Yeah, but the system and what the system does to play those games is a product. And for Sony's level, it makes the most sense to make it to where on a system level wide thing, as many people can activate things to where there's not even a need to rely on the developer. You like, and a good example is Microsoft making the accessibility the accessible controller. Well, that's what we talked about last time, and this was when uh, Sekiro launched. Was we talked about the fact that like, let's say if I had my hand and I was missing fingers and I couldn't play well with a normal controller, but then Microsoft came out with a new controller, but you don't really like Xbox. You you really like it. You're a trophy hunter and stuff like that. But let's say that the controller doesn't support on PlayStation. And then you so then at that point you turn your finger to two people. You turn to Microsoft. And then Microsoft may say, We'll support it on PlayStation if PlayStation says so. And then then you point your finger to PlayStation. And then they say, you know, yes or no, or they don't respond to you at all. Sure. And then like that's the thing. But like 
you can't you can't tell me like Naughty Dog is with a well as they like uh, they did the best job with the accessibility options in The Last of Us Two. From somebody who's not even played it, I've seen just random in the wild like. There's a subreddit called Damn That's Interesting or something like that, where it's like just really cool things that happen. And there was literally one on The Last of Us, accessibility. Yeah. And it and there's I know that there's an option that like you don't even have to press buttons to pick stuff up. It does auto pickups for you, which to be fair, like that should be on by default, I think, like in games like that, where if you like you go through and there's no like if bottomless inventory specifically. Um but just having that as an option for somebody who may get fatigued from having to press triangle to pick stuff up constantly, kind yeah. of thing in one little motion. Sure. You know, that's pretty cool. But just because Naughty Dog does it well doesn't mean that that Destiny's new update, yeah, they can do the same thing. So instead, you point it to like at a system level, like this can be solved here. Like you can make accessories and stuff like that that can help you out. And PlayStation took a step toward that with like button remapping. They, well, they, system wide. They absolutely have when it comes to system features in PlayStation Five from PlayStation Four. True. So, but that's what. I'm, but that's my whole thing of like it, you can't change. There's too many developers. There's too. There's too. There's way too much there to take for chance in terms of what they can be added in games. So just have it do them at a system level. A system level. And honestly, like there, there is a there is a thing to be said. And I'll, I'll, I'll like I said, I'll finish it off with this of. Everything doesn't have to be for everybody. It's great when there is things that are for everybody, but like here's a good example. Last night I was at my uh, in-laws. We were watching football, and everybody was around me who had a beer. And I'm like, I can't drink beer anymore. I'm like, that kind of sucks. But like, you have to get over it because like, what else are you gonna do? Are you gonna dwell in the moment that you can't have beer and be all sad for the rest of the night? No, you're gonna be like, oh well, kind of thing. It sucks that I can't play that game because of this one thing because I don't want to have to do that you're going to have to get over it because that game doesn't, it does not have to appeal to you 100%. And that's, that is like a, a, a tough thing to say or a tough thing to hear for some people, but it is just the truth. Like not everything is for everybody. Um, one of our buddies up at work, his wife can't watch horror movies because uh, she has a heart thing where if she gets scared, it actually messes with her heart rhythm. Mm. And it's like, you know, you can't go and shout and say like, stop putting jump scares in movies. Kind of thing, like it just she just has to accept the fact, and she has that like she can't watch most, she can't watch movies with jump scares in them, and, and like that's kind of the thing. It's like you have to kind of get over the fact that, that that you can't have everything and you can't get to everything. Yeah, which kind of comes to this thing of like what Chris said, right? Chris said he's turned a page on the idea of uh, of trigger warnings, and I think what's interesting there is uh, I think it's I think it's fine just so much as it's it, it comes down to if the artist wants to put them there fine in terms of if they do it themselves but then past that it's just on the the company that's putting it out because at that point it is a product and the company that's making it a commodity wants to add that so people have that cushion yeah and that's on the the company that's doing it because that's more on the product side of things but i think the last thing that i wanted to kind of bring up is because even in this conversation partially because of me partially because of chris and partially because of you all of us have done it um this conversation is so heavily focused around From Software, despite the fact that From Software have said on multiple occasions that they have zero intentions of changing their games to add difficulty modes or to be more accessible by the way by way of difficulty as that people view it. Um, and to that degree, someone brought up like, at what point do we stop structuring this this conversation so much around a company that's already made their intentions clear? And it shouldn't have been that to begin with. I mean, yeah, true. I mean, but now that we've now say. that we've had the conversation, we've brought it up, and now from software, 
uh, you know, gamers, a big enough group of gamers brought it up that from software saw a need to address it and gave their address and said, we hear you. We understand. We just have zero interest in doing that because it's not the games we want to make. And they've said that on multiple occasions now. At what point do we stop filtering them so strongly into the conversation? We did it. Literally everyone does it. And a big reason that this is even happening is because of Elden Ring, a From Software game. Yeah. People complaining about a game that for years now we've known from them, they're not going to not do this. So I think it's well, just, I think that one's interesting. I think it's an easy question to answer, right? It's because all the From Software games look like fun. <laughs> do you know like that's as simple as that is all their games you know whether that's I why like you them buy them not, all because they look fun exactly you know so they come in and they're like okay these games are fun i want to play this but i don't have the patience to beat this boss that's that's all it comes down to so people want it to be easier because they're like i want to experience this or i want to keep playing elden ring because it looks so cool and i need to play this and it's like no hey you don't need to play it and b it's too hard for you move on well, not only that, but there's a secret here that people may need to hear because they just may not realize it. It's like every person who's ever beaten a Dark Souls game or a a doom, like a Doom at the highest difficulty or whatever, like they did not start off great. No, no. And like that's the thing is, I feel like a lot of people who complain about like, oh, these games are too hard. Uh, this is going to be v- like this is the best way to put it. I don't ex- I don't even exactly agree with the words that are about to come out of my mouth. But if you say that you're a casual gamer, and by that I don't at least mean, for that game, I don't mean it. Yeah, I don't mean it in like a derogatory way. I just mean it is that you. It's very common to have a misconception of like that game's too hard. They should make it easier. Um, I want to play that game. That's the that's the problem. Then then play the game. You're putting play. the burden. You're putting the burden yeah. on the artist and not yourself. Yeah. If play. the game is very clear in telling you that, hey, to play me, you have to have a certain level of dedication and you have to be willing to practice to get better, because that's exactly what it is. I told everybody, Bloodborne took me a little bit to get used to because it is different. Yeah. I spent like six hours in the very first section of Yarnum before I finally actually went and fought Cleric Beast. And or actually, I fought Cleric Beast, realized that it didn't continue anywhere. And then whenever I realized where Gaswan was and I died to him the first time, I said, mm, I'm going around. I'm going to play more. I'm going to get better at what I'm sucking at with Gaswan, which is he's so aggressive and I can't seem to move quick that's, enough. That's how to, I was with Demon Souls. Yeah, to guard that. So I'm going to go around and I'm going to go and challenge myself with these enemies that I feel like give that the closest thing to that and I'm going to train for the moment at hand and then I finally got through it and it was still hard and I still think when I play those games Father Gaswan is still one of the hardest bosses for me but that's just what it is that's my particular thing that I needed to work on and I spent the time to do it and there are people that would say I don't want to spend six hours in the first area of any game but like Chris said the moment that I beat Father Gaswan yeah, boy and that's the thing and, and the only reason I relate it to a casual thing is that you 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 know that the games that you play you get better at from spending time in them. Sure. Well, if you say a game looks cool, but it's too hard, that's the there's a problem there. Then play the game. These games, there's not some trick to these games that makes them easier. They literally just get easier the more you play them. The trick and, is give them time. And the funny thing is, I yeah, like, if you may time. be good, I'll give you a perfect example. I platinum Bloodborne and had trouble with Dark Souls three. Just because you're good at one FromSoft game doesn't Does mean you're mean great at another. Now, that doesn't mean you can't adapt faster, because you will. Once you learn the secret combos, which is just me saying, once you learn the way dodging works and the way iframes work and stuff like that, it's very simple. 
to have that in your head of like, this is the bread and butter to these games. And then you just got to learn each game. You got to learn the timing for each game, the speed for each game. That's it. A good example too is Bar of Progress because I think that you can look at games that have all these same things you're talking about like Smash Brothers Ultimate. But the thing about Smash Brothers Ultimate is that when you play it, you're not barred from progressing. You're just playing with other people. And so the challenge that you have to meet is just as much as you want to be able to play with the other people. But you're, you can still play whatever. But I think the thing about these games is that you're going to get to a point where it's like, I don't want to play anymore without progress, but I don't want to put the time in needed for the progress. And that's okay. That's an okay thing to reach. And it's at that point, just realize that you wanted to play the game casually and the game does not want you to play it casually. And yeah. that's it. So there's one thing that I find interesting about this conversation that we haven't had yet, and it can be quick. But there's like the guy who kind of started this whole conversation is a is a streamer, right? And yeah, I was specifically at, for Elden Ring or the original yeah, first time specifically for around. this for Elden Ring because he was okay. commenting about how Forza can slow down races and all this stuff that I don't even understand why you do in a game. This is a man who beat Dark Souls three using only Morse code. So what I'd like to point out about this whole conversation is if you just put effort into these games, you can beat them in ridiculous ways. So, Oh, yeah. There's, there's been someone who beat the games with a banana. Bananas. Yeah, so, someone beat it, it on five bananas. Someone yeah. beat it on the, the Donkey Kong bongos. Yeah. Someone beat it on a Dance Dance Revolution pad. You just need to put in the time and effort. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and this, unless there's something that's physically stopping you from that, and I don't want to hear like if you play games and you say I don't have enough time to do that. That's I different. don't care because that's yeah, that's, no, 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 no. It's not even different because like you, if you have a complaint that is it is a complaint big enough to vocalize, and yet you have time to play other games, but you don't want to sink it into this one. It's not a complaint. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's uh, I lost the word, but it's uh, it's not an it's not an accessibility thing. At that point, well, yeah, it's, it's it's just that it's, I, you don't want to think. It's just you don't right. want to admit it. You just want you just want to be able to say, "I'll chunk it on easy and play it." That well, way. and for the people that bring accessibility into the play, right? It kind of how far down this weird rabbit hole do you choose to go? Do you get to the point where you start looking at accessibility like the person who reviewed the PS5 poorly because it was too hard to get? And, <laughs> and what I mean by that is, do you want to start giving games poor grades for accessibility? So, look, you can say Forza Horizon Five has got tons of accessibility stuff in it, right? To the point where they have people come on screen doing sign language um, that's cool which is cool again i'm not hating any of these movies when the game does it it's cool but um it does that but if i want to go far enough down this rabbit hole then you know what forza horizon 5 is not accessible enough because i have to have electricity to turn on the console that i play it on now i know that that's an absurd extreme example but the point is that accessibility goes through every single thing and if we want to talk about accessibility on this ultra high very comfort level thing that we do called gaming you can go so far down you can go to the fact that gaming as a whole is not accessible enough because there are people in this world that don't have the means to turn the console on there's people that don't have the means to afford a tv to be able to visualize the things that the console can show and I know those are extreme examples, and I'm not using them to belittle anything. I'm, I'm using them as an example to go, we are talking about something that's in a very comfort and leisurely industry. This is something that we have the ability to complain about. And we don't even, re- like some people are losing the forest for the trees that we're complaining about something that's already high level that we have the accessibility to do in the first place. Yeah, and you just, you got to start from somewhere. You just can't throw every game on easy mode and play it. And if you have a complaint about that, then, then you just need to stick to those games. Like, if, if that's the thing, like you can't force developers to change over something like that. In my opinion, you can't change. You can't force an artist to change their art. 
Yeah. And it's at that point, you know, if you have a way to tell and a that, story, that and is that the word hard. force. Yeah. Right. Force. Some people keep it. You they can say, ask and say, Hey, could you make this like easier with, and have good reasons behind it. You can have, and you may change this man's heart. And he goes, I yeah, never thought you, of that. You can have a disability like with thumbs or something where you can't move them quickly and you can't play the game adequately. And you may say, Hey, is there a way I can increase the sensitivity on the thumbsticks that we're not talking about that kind of stuff there, but what do we? Th- what should our communities take me for that? Well, you had one, so let's kind of go through the options real quick because we can bring this one in. But I have a feeling that at least on Twitter, when we go to ask it, we we're inviting a lot of people to come in from bad faith standpoints. Well, potentially, I don't, I don't even want to do that one. Again, I didn't think so. We've so, already done that. one. Yeah, we have. So, uh, what's the one that you thought that you said that related kind of to the game awards? I think no, no, no it, re- it related to the uh, PlayStation 5's birthday. I was going to say for those that oh. have had a PlayStation Five in the past year, what is their general thoughts on the past year? Okay, yeah, that's fine because. Um, you know, I, I think that like you know, I, I'm actually going to play Demon Souls again real oh, soon. Guys, I know what we didn't do. Communities take. Community's Holy take. crap, we got to rush that. I told Seth to go ahead and come on because we got we're this. Done. There's, a, there's not a ton of answers, but all right, we're going to go through it. So the community take for this week: Do you speak with your wallet? Do you believe that you need to support games you want to see more of, even when it's a game you might be unsure if you'll like? How much of an impact do you feel your purchase makes on the market? Uh, so over on Discord, Brew Days, uh, one of our patrons, he says, uh, "Well, I've been speaking with my wallet on NBA 2K for the last five years. Since then, I'm sorry to report that it has made no difference, and it's now basically a casino." know i've gotten to the point where i buy the games i know i like and games i'm not sure about i'll wait for uh, i'll wait for it to get dirt cheap or hit game pass i know there are those that worry about the cons of a game pass but one of the pros is it's gotten me to be a fan of games like scarlet nexus a game that i do wish i did support at launch but now a game i know that if there's a sequel to or a game like it releases in the near future i'll likely be there the day it comes out that's interesting. And that is a definitely a benefit, even with the cons of something like Game Pass, that is a benefit. Um, there was one that was on here that was really interesting that I think came from, let's see. And Chris, I know he ends up getting these. Um, I, I can't remember where it was, but I'm going to paraphrase to a degree. They brought up the fact that there are times when they've bought a game multiple times because after playing it the first time, they loved it so much they wanted to support the developer. I have done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have done that on more than one occasion. I've bought a game a second time with no real need to do so because I was like, mm, yes, I will give Terraria more money because Terraria is a great game and I would love to see more Terraria. So to that degree, I, I really like that answer. And I'm, it's not on here. I think it may have came a little late after Chris uh, Chris did this because I remember reading it this morning. Um, but we have another one from Rude Cold. He says, it could depend on price and developer. I think Kena works as an example as it's exactly what I look for in a game and it was at the perfect price, especially coming from a developer where it was their first game. Would people have felt so confident making a day one purchase if it had been 60 to $70? I'm not so sure. However, if it, went, if it was from a well-known developer where you have liked their previous games, you would be more confident in paying day one prices. It can also help buying physical as if you don't like the game, you can sell it. I know it doesn't help the developer this way, but it does help your wallet. And I really like that because I, the, one of the big proponents of physical and why I wish there was digital rights ownership is that the the risk of jumping into a game you don't like goes goes down basically, and you have the ability to do something about it. Uh, do y'all think that Kena would have done? Uh, I think I definitely agree with this statement that I think Kena would have done a lot worse as a first time game from a first time studio. At $70. I don't think that that yeah, game was done nearly as well. I didn't buy it, but there's no chance I would have bought it for 70 
on that, uh, Saul, do you think Keno would have done any worse being a $70 game? I think I agree with, with Rude Cold's statement on it being basically a worse job with a first game of a first developer at $70. Yeah, it, it kind of fits into that. I don't know. I think $70, you need to have a premium next-gen experience for that. And, and, Honestly, I don't and, think... And that answer changes for everyone as well, right? I'm going to be honest. If I if Kena came from somebody I already knew, uh, I would have been... Oh, I would have bought it for $70, even if it was the exact same game it was, Yeah, personally speaking. So I think he does make a good, a good argument there. But it does help to kind of... I think that's what's interesting. Voting with your wallet can sometimes help developers change what they think the things are going to be so it's like maybe we need to price lower because we'll get a better volume if as people take chances on us um oh actually i think this might be it right here it was uh twitter mr llama fluff so that's uh oh of course i'm skipping on his name right now uh thomas and i'm pretty sure that's it uh thomas hope you're doing well bud he says i sometimes double dip on a game that i really enjoy to support the developer Uh, i must get better at voting with my wallet in other ways though for example i won't be supporting the grand theft auto trilogy because i can't condone the poor state it is released in um and that's important too so this one gets to a really interesting thing where i'm seeing a couple of answers uh tt dog 666 one of our uh, patrons he says totally but there aren't many of us and seemingly not enough to make a difference. I flat out refuse to pay more than I think a game is worth. If that means I have to pay, uh, have to wait to play it. That's fine. Um, and there's one here that's kind of the same thing. So this is from Facebook, Josh Farmier. He says, I don't understand people who say you speak with your wallet. It would take a very high number of people to not buy a game to make a difference. Yeah, most of us are in the know about games and developers, but the vast majority are not. I don't spend the money unless I'm pretty sure I will like it. Only time I didn't was for Bloodborne. Yeah, I know I'll get crap for this, but the hand just wasn't for me. So I'd stay away from, I think he meant game. I think it autocorrected, but the game wasn't for me. So I stay away from FromSoft games, Um, which leads me to this question. And I don't want to get super political with it. It's just an interesting thing that humans do. When we don't feel like enough, if we believe something, even lightly, but we don't feel like enough other people believe it in a way that we can really see, sometimes we just don't do anything about it at all. Yeah. And a good example of that is just voting. Even if you want to take the political aspect of voting out, there are people that be like, I'm not going to vote about this change in this game because I don't think enough enough other people care, so I'm just not going to bother. Right. Yeah. Were you going to say something about that, Chris? Well, no, it's just kind of like that whole thing where like most of the time, if somebody's dying in the middle of the street, everyone will ignore it because someone else is going to take care of it kind of thing, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, it's kind of that way. Like he's right. You know, I'm the, probably the one person in this world who didn't buy near because of the trophies thing, but I just, you know, I, I there's still one sale they didn't get, you know, they're not going to notice, but it's still a fact, well, but well, you're right, right? Take it on the well, the the micro level. They're not going to notice your one cell, but on the macro yeah. level, if you go out and you talk to enough people and you get people who are like minded, and you can you get everyone who agrees with you to step out and not buy that game. On exactly. a macro level, they they might see that. Right. The only way you'll ever know is if you take the chance and say, even if it's just me, if I choose to to vote with my wallet now. Maybe other people will do it, and maybe just maybe it'll have an impact. Well, or or I mean, like when I say it, I just you know you don't like a business, so what are you going to do? Not support them? 
Yeah. So like yeah. if I went to Easy Mart and I got slapped by the cashier, I'm not gonna spend my money there. So like you vote with your wallet by not going there. Well, a good example it doesn't is, always even mean that there's gonna be people that are gonna that, that you intend on other people not doing the same thing. That's true. And I think what's weird is he kind of goes into it here. And I think it's he's looking at a very specific version of speak with your wallet. And I think that, that is the idea of a mass groves of people doing that. But he says, um, I don't spend money unless I'm pretty sure I will like it. That is inherently voting with your wallet. Yeah, like that's, right. that's, that's, that's say. the same meaning of the word. Like it doesn't. The, people put a connotation behind it of like, oh, well, that means that you're not doing it in hopes that other people. No, I'm not doing it because I don't support it. Therefore, they're not going to get my money. Yeah, but I if other care. people join you, then change yeah, might yeah, happen. Then, then that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's not the reason but I'm doing secondary it. Secondary benefit. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. Like I didn't buy, and I and I know people are going to disagree with this. I did not buy Mass Effect, uh, whatever it's called, Andromeda. No, the new the new Mass Effect trilogy. Oh, yeah, Legendary Collection. I, thought. I didn't buy that because I was not a fan of the way that Bioware and the paneling Anthem in any source of the way. It's not even because I think Anthem couldn't have died. I think Anthem could have died off, and I wouldn't have cared if they hadn't said on multiple occasions, "Hey, we're working to make this game better." Um, so I chose on my own volition without any care of anything else. Cause guess what? They're still going to make a new mass effect. They're still going to make a new dragon age. I chose, eh, I'm not going to get by and wear my money anymore. And I'm sticking to that. Doesn't matter. I don't care if anyone else does that. I'm just doing, cause that's, that's not what I want to do. And the thing uh, is, I am on a micro level voting with my wallet, but there is a macro level of voting with your wallet too. So he's also, he's also like, it seems like a misread of the phrase. It's not, it's vote with your wallet. Don't you can't vote, vote with, with my our wallet. wallet. Yeah, yeah. My, I'll vote with yeah. my wallet. You vote with your wallet. But that was the whole thing I was even saying is like, if if I'm sitting here, we're, we're, this stemmed off me saying that people should go buy Guardians, basically. That was my argument. And me buying Guardians is speaking with my wallet. And I'm telling you to speak with your wallet and buy the game if you want to see games like that supported, you know? So it, yeah, it's you're just, right. You can't make someone else speak with their wallet. They're doing that on their own. Right. But if you don't like loot boxes and then like I, I if I came on the show and I was like loot boxes and microtransactions, the bane of the universe. Games would be better without them. But then 5 seconds later I talked about how much money I spent on Apex Legends uh coins. You know, it's you can't you're not, I'm not voting with my wallet. So it's this just that kind of thing. It's you have to be the change you want to be, even if it doesn't. Even if nobody ever sees you doing it, that's exactly. Still, even you if know. you don't, even if you're not a podcast host and have an opportunity to talk about the fact you're doing it, if you're doing it on your own because you want to do it, then that's fine. Exactly. Um, so that's that's what's interesting. But it's interesting to me that there's such a kind of a negative connotation around people thinking, well, it doesn't really matter. Well, maybe it shouldn't matter if it matters. Maybe it should just matter to you. <laughs> you right. know, maybe that's the better way to look at the idea of speak with your wallet is just look, are you happier that you chose not to spend money on something that you don't think you would like or that you think goes against something you do like? Then you should be happy on your own level and not worry about the impact it could make. And then and then you get the hidden dessert of if enough people do the same thing as you and it does change and makes impact, then great. That's just extra icing on the cake, man. Um Last one here, Josh Ayer says, I buy games I like the look of. That resulted in some crap purchases, but I buy games I like the look of and are doing things I want to support. There's games that do what I like, but I don't buy. On the topic of, it, uh, of, on the topic of if our sales affect anything, sure it does, but we need to look at de- measuring this differently. Let's talk Avengers. It sold well week one, but week two, it had an 80% drop-off. That's people voting with their wallet. Do you expect some drop-off? Sure, but not 80%, maybe 30 to 40 for an average game. Um, 
And I guess that is a good example, right? Where uh, that's that's actually an example of where voting with your wallet, but also making sure that you kind of give yourself a platform to let word of mouth impact a game. I think Avengers actually is a very solid example of voting with your wallet being really used on a macro level and doing something because clearly that game's still going, but it's not doing well. Yeah. If anything, Anthem is also another example of voting with your wallet because people just stopped buying it because they didn't want to. And then what what else is weird is you can vote with your wallet and then if you've already if you've already accidentally voted with your wallet in a way that you disagree with in the and you can't do much about that other than vote with your time. Yeah. And there are games like Anthem where you can buy the game and you can't do anything to get your money back necessarily. But what you can sure do is not give the developer your hours and by just going, screw it, I'm going to play anyway. Now, if you want to do that, that's you're more than welcome to. If you want to feel like you got something out of your thing, but if you want to try and just be like, you know what, I want to at least make a statement to them, even if it doesn't matter, it means something to me, then yeah, you can vote with your time. If you think a game looks cool and it's too hard, then vote with your wallet. It's well, really voting with your time is also kind of a kind of a free-to-play thing, right? If you're somebody who doesn't plan on buying anything on these games, but you're unhappy with what they're doing, your only real measurement to potentially do anything is just to go, I'm not going to play this game anymore because I don't like what they're doing. Even though they've never made a dollar off of me, at least from the microtransactions, I'm not going to play. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of your only option. But that's an interesting one. All right, guys. Thanks for that. Sorry we almost forgot it. Had a really interesting thing going on there. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation around... Uh, uh, the accessibility and really I would say it's less of a conversation around accessibility and more of a conversation around um, difficulty difficulty and respecting not compelling action from artists. That's really what it is. It's not even about respecting the artist's vision. If the artist's vision is included with the fact of accessibility, that's a great thing. Uh, but you shouldn't compel an artist that doesn't line up with you. So to that end, uh, remember our our one this year is or this week is going to be the one year anniversary of the PS5. How do you feel it's lived up to your expectations of the device? Um, be looking out for that on our social media. Remember that's at Triangle SQRD over on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at the group Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast, or you can find us in the Discord, which we always have linked down in the description below. As a shout out, we always like to shout our patrons out for being great, so supportive of the show. So with Without further ado, we like to end this show off and thank you for 237 episodes. Chris, thanks for joining me, man. We will see you next week. All right. All right, right, man. Big shout out to our patrons, Ham and Egger, Bailey Robertson, Rob Warpoint, Josh Drago, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Richard Schaefer, Rude Days 93, Joshua Lago, Landis, Zachary Sawyer, Kevin Bacon Bits, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, Sean, Derek Porter, Corey Hickerson, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Sanderud, The Stonerd, Stephen Salazar, Shadowist, my name is Dan. Thank you all. Thank you.